Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, Ray Russell and Steve Ekstat back again one more time as part of the All Access tier here on Patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And this time it's the All Access Watch Along. We're going to be covering WCW World War 395, the inaugural World War 3 pay-per-view, Steve. And it kind of works out as a complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare show that we do every Monday morning. So uh, I think this is a pretty cool, it's in succession with Halloween Havoc. We've already done Halloween Havoc 95 in the past. So uh, adding World War III here, I don't know that we're going to do this for every single pay-per-view moving forward, but uh, I will let the cat out of the bag while we're getting ready to do World War III. You, can, uh, you guys can also expect a WWF Survivor Series to go up sometime between now and before, sometime before Thanksgiving. Uh, but right now, it's World War III this week, WCW, November 26, 1995. Steve, what are your thoughts on this show before we get going? I actually enjoy this show. It's different. I know we talk about a lot on Warfare, how we go back in time and kind of re- try to remember how we feel at that moment try to relive it and hearing three rings 60 men like that just sounds it sounds like a cluster now but as like a 10 11 year old like you would love to see that and so i was i probably was trying to convince my parents to buy it for me did happen but i definitely rented the hell out of this tape when that when i was able to and i I actually really enjoy this show yeah curiosity killed the cat for me you didn't really have to promote a pay-per-view for me to want to get it i wanted to get every pay-per-view it's just the uh, wrestling fan in me but obviously, I wanted to see how the three rings were going to be set up because growing... Well, you know what? We'll get into that after we kick off the show. I don't want to make anybody wait any longer. Hope you guys got it queued up here on the WWE Network because that's where we're watching World War Three from 1995. It's the 60-man, the first ever 60-man three-ring battle royal and so much more. So, uh, Steve, let's get going. If you're ready, I'm ready. Let's uh, count down. You ready to count down? Yeah, let's go. All right, guys. Everybody get ready to press play in five, four, three two, one, go ahead, press play. And the show kicks off as WCW declares war. And Steve, I guess we should kind of bring up the whole reason for the main event here on this pay-per-view. Actually, there was no reason initially. It was just a a, a grab to grab the fans' attention. But uh, they decided at last minute, or at least somewhere around Halloween Havoc time, maybe even after Halloween Havoc, to take the belt away from Hogan and the Giant and put it up for grabs here in this 60-man battle. There are literally 60 men. Mike Winner, the Yeti, anyone can win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship here tonight on World War III. It's a scary thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's some names in here of guys that I think we got what, hard work. Bobby Bobby Walker. Is Bobby like Walker? Oh, <laughs> Theoretically, huh? I, a, I don't know if he's on this one or that, I'm thinking of another one. But, um, yeah, just some random names in here that – Give, have a shot at it. It's, Look at this shot of the of the sh- of the arena. We're we're in Norfolk, Virginia, at the Scope. Uh, WCW love running at the Scope. I love the way the building looks. That you pointed out to. I said I couldn't remember which city they were running, and you said it's the Scope. There, you know, the, uh, you can just tell as soon as you see the arena where they're at. And you're right. That's that roof, the ceiling, and just uh, look at the layout. I was curious if the rings were going to be side by side by side, but they're more of in a triangular 
shape. And uh, it was, I was kind of curious how they came, came about that idea. Yeah, I'm wondering. I mean, I don't know. I guess it'd be a lot more difficult to just put three in a row and then have like a, an entrance. So I don't know, though. I mean, I don't well, know. I'm sure. Just slide those in the middle. I, 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 don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure a little bit it had to do with just seating. And wanting to get more fans in, in the on the floor by condensing the, the rings a little bit, I guess. But I don't know if that, if that really worked out either. It was uh, most peculiar. There was never a setup like this before in the history of wrestling. So what was funny was growing up as a kid, when I used to have my 100-man G.I. Joe wrestling battle royals, I would have a three-ring battle royal all the time, way before this pay-per-view ever even came about. So it's kind of copyright infringement. I should sue WCW. If they were still around, I'd think about it. But... <laughs> They would all start in ring one and kind of work their way over. And what I would do is I would play on a couch and each cushion was a ring and they would just kind of move from there. So when I, when I, they came up with this idea, I was already in high school by this point, but when they came up with this idea, I said, oh my God, my, my, uh, my childhood came to fruition several years later. If only I had known that was going to happen, you know, it was uh, pretty cool though. <laughs> Yeah, you can go to CompuServe and chat with you oh with WCW gosh. Superstar. CompuServe, sure. for, for those who don't know, CompuServe was the rival of AOL at the time. Obviously, one of them survived and one of them didn't. And just like WCW and WWF, one of them survived and one of them didn't. You can guess which one. CompuServe, <laughs> WCW, they go hand in hand. Yeah, I love the ceiling, man. I love the ceiling. So we're kicking things off here. With Sting, the Macho Man, and Hulk Hogan still in black, at least momentarily, if you look, though, you can kind of see he's got the red and yellow pants. They're kind of poking in and out. The camera's not doing a good job of disguising it. Uh, basically, Hogan's here to rip on Dave Meltzer without mentioning him by name, the Melts. He yeah, rips, rips on the rag it. sheet. He actually, uh, in a few minutes here, he holds up a, the Observer, the Wrestling Observer newsletter, and uh, throws it in the trash can, sets it on fire, damn near sets the arena on fire, too. Can't wait to see that. But uh, Hogan's basically calling bullshit on Melts as he goes back to red and yellow and gets rid of the dark side, which made no sense to me to just throw it away after building it up. So why did they... Boom! Ho, why is... ho, call the hotline! <laughs> <laughs> why the hell are they... What's he ragging on Meltzer about? What did Meltzer say in the Observer? I, you know, I don't know what's stuck in Hogan's craw this week. I'm sure Meltzer had said plenty of shit about Hogan over the last decade, so I'm not really sure. I went through those Observers to try to get an idea. I think yeah. Meltzer was kind of flattered and almost kind of played it off in a way when he responded to this in saying that um, it was the weirdest, most bizarre segment in the history of, of wrestling or pay-per-view or whatever, which it was really weird because... Nobody knew what a dirt sheet was at the time, and Hogan calling it a rag sheet here. He's basically shitting yeah. on the reports, but the reports aren't even accurate that Hogan's claiming. He, he, we, we'll we take go. a listen here for a minute. Is the fact that everybody said the macho man has a legitimate injury, brother. What a joke. The macho man's arm is perfect. That was just a plan. Mm. Because between the stinger, macho man, and Hulk Hogan... The WCW title, brother, is going to be with the Hulkamaniacs, just like the people. All right, I've heard enough of that. Basically, I think what Hogan's... He's going to the rag sheets now. I think he already talked about the rag sheets. 
Observe no, this, brother! Observe this! This is what we call a rag sheet, brother! They say that Giant is gonna win the match! They said Macho Man was hurt! This is like... This is like a dinosaur compared to the internet, brother! The internet's got the scoops! We're gonna steal the belt! The Stinger Macho Man at home! Okay, first... Um, the He said observe this, so there's reference right there immediately. He's almost shilling Meltzer in a way. And then he says that the internet is the way of the future and the rag sheets are, are a dinosaur. Isn't it ironic that 99% of the information on the internet today comes from the observer? <laughs> <laughs> Hogan's just foreshadowing here a little bit. I, I will say, if you, t if you go back, if you read the one right after Halloween Havoc 95, um, Meltzer talks about how Hogan hasn't oh, yeah. necessarily been a uh, – he hasn't really been a good return on investment because of how much money he's supposed to get out of uh, the pay-per-views, which is, I think is 25% of the buy rate. He gets 25% of it. And with them having to pay all that out and they're not really getting what they thought they were going to get out of him. They're barely breaking even, even though they're having decent numbers. So I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Cause he's been bagging on Hogan for not being the draw that he thinks he is. Yeah. And I don't want to talk over this, uh, promo package here for the upcoming match between Johnny B. Bad and DDP. I'll just add real quick. I do know that Meltzer mentioned after this ep uh, this uh, pay-per-view that Hogan uh, basically came up there and he said that the, the rag sheet stated that the Giant was going to win. And that's not what Meltzer said at all. In fact, Meltzer said either Hogan or Savage were going to win. So I'm not really sure what Hogan was talking about there. And we'll get into the whole thing about Macho Man working the, you know, working everybody with a fake injury and he's 100%. We'll, we'll get to that later as, you know, obviously that's not the case at all. Hogan just being Hogan in that instance. But real quick, what we have right now is a, a video montage uh, of the DDP and Johnny B. Bad feud are actually the issues between DDP and his valet wife, Kimberly, the Diamond Doll. And she's not really appreciating him, not appreciating her at this point. She walks off there at the end of that promo and there's, you know, trouble in paradise. And basically at this point, DDP has put Kimberly up uh, against the Johnny B. Bad's TV title. I don't even know if that's legal. Uh, it's not legal in probably 50 states, but it's, it's legal in wrestling. It's, yes. <laughs> And here he's still got the bad blaster, even though Johnny has like 812 different colors and variations. For some reason, as long as DDP holds this one bad blaster, we don't see Johnny be, Johnny be bad with one. I thought that was kind of funny. And Kimberly looking a little, uh, she's not so sure of herself. I loved her mannerisms. Her face, her, her facials were so cute. She, she was really hot when she was playing the ditzy girl. And then when she was playing this, um, I don't know. <laughs> That's what her eyes said right there. And uh, she, she makes some cool faces here throughout this match. Yeah, she's pretty – she's really good at uh, selling how she's feeling and things like that just by her face. And it uh, doesn't wow. seem like a lot, but it definitely – it takes a little bit of talent. Hello. Speaking of talent, oh, my God. <laughs> the lady grabbing there. The, yeah. yeah, I think she's the, what, the ring girl grabbing? in the attire, the, the entrance gear. <laughs> I'm in a bad mood. And he's got no bad blaster, but what he does have is little sparklers shooting out of his hands. Fizzle. <laughs> but he's trying here. I got to give it to him, man. I don't know that anybody had a better look gear-wise and entrance ring gear-wise 
than Johnny B. Bad here at this point in WCW. Very no, flash. Absolutely not. You can tell, like, we talked about it. Halloween Havoc, how he's constantly evolving and changing things with his gear and just getting better in the ring. And, um, it's kind of unfortunate he had his falling out with Bischoff and left the company because I thought he was really on his way, working his way up there. Yeah, you just have to wonder how high he was going to be allowed to get because, you know, as we, we've already pointed out before when we've reviewed other shows, that Bischoff wasn't really a giant fan of Johnny B. Bad. I don't know that he disliked him as a human being. I'm not really sure about that, but I know that he just didn't see money in him and he didn't see, he didn't think really he belonged even at the tier he was at. So you wonder how long this is going to last or how far he was going to get to take this character. I mean, he was just, he had the look and then he, he spent all that money obviously on his uh, ring gear and his entrance attire, all these ideas he come up with the bad blaster. I know, I know it's just a, a confetti cannon, but it just, it worked for his gimmick. And then here in 95, he really developed and especially in the latter half of 95, uh, just all the new moves he was put busting out. And oh, he yeah. continued to do that when he first came into the WWF where he blew out his knee. So here we go right away. <laughs> DDP getting posted. A minute into the match. So, so the moral of the story is you got to be Bischoff's neighbor in order to be nothing and turn into something. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you look at these two right it's here. It's got to be it, bad. Huh? Yeah. Hold these two up against each other. I mean, just uh, two, two eight by tens and, and show them to the fans. And they're going to tell you who they think looks like a wrestler and who looks like, you know, a street bum, uh, a very large street bum. But yeah, who, looks like a, <laughs> who looks like a star and who looks, looks like somebody who has no business, you know? Uh, yeah. And I'm not trying to knock, all over you know, but... page for what he ended, wound up becoming, but oh, I'm no, just, I, I'm he just saying, he busted his ass. but I'm just saying if, if uh, Bischoff was willing to give page all these opportunities and he looked like this yet, he, he was against Johnny B. Bad. I just, I don't get, I don't know what else you could want from a wrestler. I mean, he was really getting to develop into the total package at this point. Just uh, the the look, obviously. Uh, yeah, I agree. And he could talk. He could work his gimmick. I mean, he wasn't selling tickets on a promo, but he, he didn't st stammer or stutter when he was cutting his promos. He knew where he was going with them. He knew his he knew his gimmick. He knew what he wanted to say, and it all went together. And um, it's not like a steamboat so or somebody like that who kind of gets well, yeah, uh, who gets lost in the shuffle or you know just gets lost out there in the middle of a promo. He knew exactly where he wanted to get and how to get there, and he didn't stutter. He was believable. Um, and I still remember that segment on Saturday night. I said eight tire, not four tires, and then he just smoked the guy with the right hand. So right. I still remember the way he delivered that line, and I thought it was excellent. And, um, yeah, I, I love Mark Merrill when he came into the WWF. I thought he was awesome and a big get for Vince. And uh, it's just a shame he blew out his knee. Yeah, that was uh... – the beginning of the end for Marrow's basically his entire, the, re the entire rest of his uh, wrestling career. He never really recovered from that push wise or really. Gimmick. <laughs> yeah. The boxing gimmick. I, I don't, I would have to imagine that was something he thought up. It doesn't seem like something Vince would have given to him. The look, especially he kind of moved away from that. Uh, yeah. Johnny B. Bad little Richard look and really never got over uh, again. I yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's kind of like, I know we've had this conversation before, I don't want to get, but it applies here too. I think like the the right to censor group, you stripped away their characters. I think when he went to that boxing gimmick, it, it took away everything he really had. He was the 
the presentation was better than what was going on in the ring. I'm not discrediting him. He's awesome. Like, look at that move there and, and things that he did. But after he blew out his knee, this was never the same. And then you take away his gimmick and you're stuck with Mark Merrill that we saw towards the end there that didn't didn't really last very long. And uh, he's never really he been back. I don't – uh, he's never really come back. Yeah, he's now like he's a, a, motivational a motivational speaker. speaker. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Little 619 fake out there. Long before the 619. And a nice plancha to the floor. Really good. And I, yeah, I really, awesome. I know we said this back at Halloween Havoc, but I think that was, uh, what, the, their first encounter? This is their second. Seems like they work every pay-per-view. Feels like they open every pay-per-view up until Bad Leaves, and the Booty 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 Man replaces them. Yeah, Johnny oh, Bad look at this macho there. man stuff right here. Holding Elizabeth, <laughs> the lovely Kimberly in front of him, taking that sucker punch. He doesn't deserve her. Isn't that what Susan St. James said at WrestleMania 2? She wishes Elizabeth went with George Steele. Macho doesn't deserve deserve her. That's some decent commentary. Yeah, she well, she knew her stuff because, you know, her husband was Dick Ebersol running the uh, Saturday Night's Mid events. He probably uh, got her all ready and set for uh, WrestleMania 2. I don't want you looking like an idiot out there. Learn, you only got four matches to call. So <laughs> learn these storylines. That's crazy. Yeah, Did he you? opened, um, what, Fall Brawl? So they get, they send him out there to get the crowd going, and he's he's the best dude on the roster for that as of now. I mean, obviously, guys like the cruiserweights, you know, Malenko, Ray, and those guys that come along that kind of open the shows and get the crowd hot. Like, Johnny B. Bad was perfect for that role. Johnny B. Bad felt more of like a spot guy, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's just he's just coming to his own here. He's just learning all these new flippity moves and, and gadgets like that. He's not really a technical wrestler, so I'm wondering where he would have stood once spinning, laying down tombstone-looking move there. And is he going to go to? The, is he going to say bang? Is he going to show up, throw up the diamond? I don't think he's done that yet. No, we haven't. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, he wants a ten. That's what he wants. No, I, he's trying to get a ten. He wants a ten. No way. She She's like, no, no thanks. Well, that was, in all fairness, that wasn't a 10. So I'm with Kimberly there. But I was just wondering, like, where would Bad have went once that whole cruiser division took off and, and Guerrero and the Lucha guys and everything? Bad doesn't really fit in with those guys, and he's a little bigger than those guys as well. But at the same time, he's not going to get pushed in the Hogan spot or the Savage spot. So it feels like maybe he would have been lost in the shuffle no matter where he went. I think he had a much better chance of succeeding here in WCW. He was already well-established and ha had the gimmick and the look anyway. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I would believe him with the right push. I, I would believe him in the U.S. title picture. I mean, they didn't really, like, eventually they turned that into the working man's title, kind of like the WWF did for the IC title uh, with your Benoit's and Booker T's and things like that. I feel like he would have fit in there kind of like how he fit in with the IC title picture in WWF at the time. So um, it, it would all, it would have required the right push and the right story to initially get him over in that area. But I think he could have done it for sure. 
DDP's shoulder hits the post there makes me wonder, is Bad actually going to work it, or are they just going to ignore it and continue on with the match? We'll see. We'll see how much... Whoa! <laughs> Went for a wild uh, punt kick there. DDP takes a big bump off of a missed punt. Interesting. Looked like he slipped on a banana peel. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> He's already he's already stopped selling the shoulders, so there goes my answer there. And another wild bump yeah. by DDP. Overselling just a little bit. He's selling, he's, he's selling the arm again. Answer not quite given yet. But yeah, I don't think it's gonna he's not gonna work the arm and make it lead to something. It's just a spot in this match. I think they have the right idea. I mean, I wouldn't want to go out and work a technical match and work the arm, do an arm bar and things like that. Just go out there, do your spots, get the crowd going, and go home. I think that fits for what they're trying to do here. Oh, bad catches the foot. What are we going to get here? DDP misses. Clothesline from bad, and that lays DDP out. That's how bad won the TV title, Max Muscle Clothesline DDP. And then Muscle took that terrible bump off that punch from Bad. Uh, speaking of Max Muscle, he's nowhere to be found anymore. Wait a minute. She's going to give Bad a 10, a 10 plus. She's in full support of Johnny. What is going on here? That hussy. What's going on here? She comes with DDP. Now she's 10 plus for a clothesline. Sit up, powerbomb. Timing's a little off, but you don't see that too often from Johnny B. And with DDP as uh, tall as he is, man, I was really shocked to even... Tried that move. Yeah, it doesn't look as pretty when you're doing it to a smaller guy. DDP tries to use the ropes for leverage and still can't get it done. Kimberly down there shaking her head no, like, why are you cheating? She's doing great, man. If you just pay attention to her down there. Yeah, she was great all throughout the uh, Dave's. Oh, <laughs> I hate to even say that, but. She was even great during the silly Dave Sullivan feud, like just uh, the way she played up as a character. And she was even better here in this whole Johnny B. Bad fiasco. The only thing I didn't really care for was when she started trying to do these dance routines during her entrances with uh, Bad. They were they were a little annoying, a little bit annoying. Because if you ever <laughs> hear the stories about the Nitro Girls, they hated Kimberly because she was basically the lead Nitro Girl, but had no idea how to dance per se, like the rest of the Nitro Girls anyway, and it was kind of irritating to them. So it was just really weird. I actually just saw Kimberly with Bad on something I was watching in the last couple of weeks. And uh, when they came out, I she did a whole dance routine number, high-stepping and things, and it just looked absolutely out of place and unnecessary. Like, what gimmick is this? What what does this have to do with, <laughs> with your character and Johnny B. Bad? This dance routine going on in the background of the ring while, while he's doing his you know, bad blaster routine. And she, to, in all fairness, though, she does wind up shooting off a, a simultaneous bad blasters with Johnny. So at least she got her own bad blaster. DDP looking like That's he nice. wanted to. Oh, well, I think they covered that up there, but that was really nice gut buster. Oh, yeah. I don't know why the Nitro girls would be mad for having Kimberly run this show. I mean, she's. She's uh she's buddies with Bischoff too, so as long as that's going on, they have nothing to worry about. I think a lot of those girls came from you know uh, sports teams and things of that nature. They had a much better grasp 
what they were doing than Kimberly. And I, I doubt she was the choreographer. But here we go. Well, I doubt she was too. But this know. match is this match has been uh, very much back and forth. There's no like big time heat put on bad here, which I kind of like in the opener. I like to see that back and forth action. And like you pointed out, the reverse tombstone here by Johnny B. Bad. Is he going to hit it? Undertaker style. Boom. And in November, nonetheless. Maybe that was like a shout out to <laughs> the Undertaker there. Page kicks out, though. Not getting the job done. It's just crazy how moves can get established by certain people. And boom. It's the end of them. Oh, nice right hand. That was a left. I can't see. <laughs> what? What's what's he call this one here? The uh, somersault plancha the floor is that the bad day, the bad mood, the bad what? I can't remember. He, he named everything bad, so I, I I get confused here. It's been a long time, but I love the way he hit it. You didn't see everybody like doing that at that point. So when when he did it, it really it really took notice because here he comes back inside slingshot leg drop and makes the cover two three. Yes, that's it. Johnny be bad. Retains the TV title, but more importantly, if it, if it was me anyway, far more importantly, he just won himself Kimberly. Johnny B. Bad retains the title, and there's a stunned Diamond Dole. Now you got to go home and pack all your curlers, pack all your moo-moos, pack all your cheap makeup, because you no longer live with the Diamond. Kimberly's uh, actions here are great. I mean, they're they're so spot on. Like she gets it. You know what I mean? It's like you can't teach that. Really, mm-hmm. you can't teach that. I suppose you can teach that, but I don't think DDP was in any position to coach her as to what to do here. At least <laughs> not to the level that she she did it. She did. She was perfect here. She deserves the ten. Oh, yeah, if any absolutely. of these people, more ways than one, huh? And she's kind of realizing what's happened here. And, oh, thank you, Johnny. You saved me from DDP because apparently the only way she could leave DDP was if Johnny B. Bed won her here. Lots of issues with the booking. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that hug was there a symbol go. of a pre... A well, he's, he's not lying. I'll give her a 10 plus too. But it's kind of funny because that hug seemed to symbolize that you know, he saved her from DDP when in actuality she's not a slave. She could have left at any time, but I guess this way she gets to stay on TV. So maybe that's what she's celebrating that she left Dallas, but yeah, she still found a way to stay on TV. And uh, I-, I can't argue that. I am so happy that we continue to see the diamond doll beyond this. Such a cool. Movie. Yeah. He made it look really good for a guy, his size. You didn't see a lot of guys, his size hitting somersault. Planches to the floor. Oh, man. I remember when he first gets to WWF and he does that standing switch on the top rope and turns it into, a, like, the, the moonsault. The, the marrow I was salt, like, holy yeah. cow. Yeah, like, it's always it always baffles me how easy people move on the top rope like that. Like, I'd be terrified to jump and turn around and then do your moonsault. Like, that, it seems like a lot of effort just to make something look cool on the top rope where it could be very dangerous. You know, one slip and you're down. It's going to look bad. So, um, yeah, just tremendous. Good stuff. Here's, I know he didn't mean- care for the storyline there. Right. So. <clears throat> well, I ate this up when this was happening. I, I was such a – I don't really want to say I was a Johnny B. Bad mark. It wasn't like I, I waited – 
at the TV every week to see Johnny B. Bad. But when he was on, I was, you know, I knew I was going to get something good at this point. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, I mean, and I, did, I did not care for care. DDP whatsoever no. until this feud. And this didn't really make me like him, but this was, I, this is the first time I ever tolerated him in the ring in a match. So lots of props there for Johnny B. Bad for being able to do that. And lots of props for DDP. You can tell he's improving and he's trying really hard. Ha! Huh, call the hotline. Yeah, so I know, I think we talked about this on Halloween Havoc. I know he doesn't, Johnny didn't care for this storyline himself because of his religious beliefs and being married to, I think, Sable at the time. So uh, he wasn't about to kiss Kimberly or do any of those sort of things. He didn't really, it's not what he wanted to do. So um, he didn't really buy into it. No, but I thought the, the story itself, even though it, it is flawed, guys wrestling over the, you know, the rights to own a woman or anyone for that, for that matter. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, man, I, I enjoyed it when it was happening. Obviously I didn't really believe this was really happening, oh, but I, I thought that Kimberly needed something new and this worked out really well for her for the short period that it did. Of course she winds up with brother Brutai and that doesn't last a, a too long. Before Kimberly, I think she just basically disappears by that point until the uh, Nitro girls pop up on uh, Nitro, when it, whatever, 97? I don't even remember. I think that's 96. Oh, okay. It's definitely, it's definitely 96. I think when they go two hours or, or something on that line where they have a little bit more time, I think that's when they come out. But They must know the scope. See her again, the scope they must know the scope looks awesome because they keep panning to the ceiling, <laughs> these ceiling shots and these... Faraway shots of the three oh, yeah. rings too. I think, this, I think it's more of the three rings than anything else. This but, next yeah. match is a uh, tape fist match. Big Bubba versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. They've been popping each other with tape fists for weeks now, unfortunately. And I'd like to say this is the last time they'll meet, but they seem to meet at least in syndication almost every week for what feels like forever. And here comes Duggan down, running, to, jogging, well, walk, barely walking, down to the ring. And he's taped his fists all the way up to his elbows. Not really sure what that's going to do for you there, Hacksaw. You look absolutely ridiculous. It's going to help him with clotheslines and things like that. Well, <laughs> Bubba's selling it anyway. Forearm. Yeah, I guess. Bubba's a great seller when it comes to uh, punches and things like that. <laughs> he's always so good for those. Yeah, and if memory serves me correctly, he even sells some things here that doesn't even come close to touching him. Or maybe that's the other way around. I know somebody pulls some punches big time here, and I can't really remember which one it was or if it was both of them. But uh, I'm sure you'll see it sooner than later as this match gets going. This is not going to be uh, a barn burner or a slobber knocker. Uh, Maybe 10 years prior, well, not 10 years prior, but several years prior, this would have been a really great match uh, if these guys had wrestled back in Bill Watts time frame and in the UWF or something like that before, before the WWF, they had a bit, a bit of a there, match. Right? Th- What's that? Bubba was in what Watts. He was with Watts, right? Yeah. They, 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 yeah, they put Bubba over there at one point after Crockett purchased it, but he was still with Crockett WWE. technically. Yeah, before he went to WWE. Didn't care for his, I think, Starcade payoff. Didn't really care for what he got paid for climbing up on top of the scaffold. And that was pretty much it, I think. 
or pretty close to the end. Duggan looks absolutely ridiculous here. I, how long did it take him to tape from his fists all the way up to his That had to take forever. What a waste of time. Oh, and he looks, <laughs> just looks ridiculous. How this guy had a career beyond like uh, 93 is beyond how he had a career beyond 91 really is beyond me, but really beyond that last little in there in the WWF, the Yokozuna. I, I don't even know how they got anything out of him here in WCW. Just everything was dreadful. You know, like you pointed out before, besides maybe that match with Vader at Starcade, uh, and he really had no choice there. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they're yeah. they're jumping around from ring to ring. That was something I was going to mention to you too. What do you? How would you feel if you were you know seated in a position where, you know, you, you don't really have a a good look at all three rings? If some of these matches are in other rings, you're really not getting to see the whole pay per view. Ooh, that's a cool spot. Yeah, no, nah, uh, yeah. I I think going oh. into it. Oh. <laughs> I know it's terrible, man. That was the greatest spot and great sell job there by Bubba. But um, no, I think going into it, I think I would know that there's probably going to be some visibility issues. Um, you know, it's they, they're telling you ahead of time it's three rings. Hard telling how that's going to work. You're probably intrigued by the way it's going to look. But yeah, you probably figured if you're front row somewhere, you're not going to see some stuff. So I think yeah. this is one of those shows you probably want to be 10, 15, 20. 20 aisles up, maybe even in the second deck. If there is a second deck there, I think there is. Uh, yeah, maybe up there. That way you kind of be elevated and see everything a little bit better compared to being straight on the floor. Yeah, this is one of those times that center court absolutely pays off. And like you pointed out, up I would rather be in the upper deck at something like this as well. Sometimes it just works out better that way. And this is one of those times for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Especially Unless when the battle oil gets going. right there. Yeah. It's in that small area right there in between rings one and three and then the middle ring there. Uh, if you're in that spot right where they're wrestling here, I, I think you should be able to see everything that's going on in all three rings with everybody else. If you're like over there, like the, the far away shot where the, the guardrail is, man, you ain't seeing shit in ring one. And there's Bubba. He whiffed on that, but missed Duggan by a mile with that rib shot. Had to have been at least six inches, maybe even a foot off from Duggan. And he missed that one too. Bubba missing every other shot, completely missing. I don't mean, I don't mean he's just glan- glancing uh, blows. He's just completely whiffing. And Duggan's selling him anyway. So at least Bubba's trying to take care of Duggan here. I don't know that I want him to. <laughs> maybe if he knocks yeah. him around a little bit, we'll get a real match. And now we're off into the other. At least they're trying to give all the fans something to see here. And I think Ric Flair does something similar as well with Sting later on in the show. I'm glad Bossman didn't sell that because Duggan missed that by a mile. <laughs> yeah, he did. Oh, man. These guys pro- are just beating the hell out of each other. It's, it's kind but of they're really not. Of their Royal Rumble match. But they're really not. Because they're missing all of these shots is was the point. I was yeah, yeah. I was actually just about to say the exact opposite. I was about to say th- these guys are so concerned with hurting one another because they have taped fists that they're pulling their punches too much. And uh, you know, but by now, man, it's I don't even want to say they're just here to collect a paycheck. I'm sure their pride's a little more than that. I hope, but at the same time, I think they're grizzled veterans who understand to just 
go out here and take care of each other and, you know, enjoy the paycheck. And his fist is already taped. So can you explain to me what's going on here? He's like taping his fist. Is it going to hurt more if it has three more wraps of tape on it? Is that like some kind of special tape? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So fre- fresh tape hurts that's, that's more. <laughs> okay. Okay. See, I don't know. I've never been in a tape well, fist not, uh, battle. Yeah, I, may have, I might have to just start taping up my fists everywhere I go. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what a tape. I get. I guess the the tread of the tape, especially medical tape, they have those little rigid things on it. But well, I get I the mean, idea of the know, tape man. fist. It makes your knuckle harder. I get it. And yeah. It prevents it from bending. I yeah. get all of that. I just don't understand the logic. I thought when he pulled the tape out that maybe he was going to tape Doug into the ropes. Maybe he is going to tape an object into his hand. No, he just tapes his hand two or three more times <laughs> and then starts laying in the, the shot. The thicker the tape, the more painful it's going to be for him. Who knows? He's I going mean, back. it's just a visual, I guess. The more, the more the tape, the better. Here we go. Maybe this is the, there, there, we, there we go. That makes a little more hard. sense. Of course, that's not duct tape, though. I think Duggan can break that pretty easy if he doesn't really get it on there. He's taping Duggan's hand to the top row. <laughs> he wrapped it around two or three times, Duggan acting like he's handcuffed, like he can't break this. A man of <laughs> at least 280. Duggan's a big dude, man. And I tell you what, though, they're yeah, selling missing. the whole uh, tape Ooh. fist gimmick. There's plenty of fists being thrown. Nowadays, if you saw That's a tape fist it. match, you might get you know five, four or five punches while everybody's doing the flips. So at least yeah. these guys get yeah. the idea of the match. It's better oh. than that Taipei death match they got. What ECW had? With uh, the glass? That's just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. the old Andre spot. Oh. <laughs> that's how Warrior he knocked <laughs> Warrior out legit one time. <laughs> just stuck his fist <laughs> out, and Bubba runs right into it. I wish. That was on tape. Yeah, I wish that was on tape where Andre knocked the Warrior out with that spot. Warrior was hit. Heenan's told the story repeatedly in the past that every night Andre was doing the job to Warrior, what, in a minute or two minutes at the house shows. But every night Warrior would come in there and just nail Andre as hard as he could with these clotheslines. And Andre was getting up there. You know, he wasn't feeling great. And he kept asking the Warrior, hey, boss, go a little easier next time. And Warrior would say, okay, Andre. And every night Warrior would come out there and whack Andre hurt him again. And every, you know, Andre gave him two or three opportunities to knock it off and he didn't. And so finally one night, that's what happened. Uh, warrior ran off the ropes and right into an Andre fist like that knocked warrior out cold, I guess, or at least half silly to the point where after that, the warrior, uh, was a lot more gentle with the giant. It sounds like the warrior didn't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know wow. if that guy really knew uh, better that, at times. I've heard that. I've heard that story before too, and I, I'm pretty sure it was on that um, self destruction of the Ultimate Warrior DVD. But um, yeah, Three dude, point I, I don't want to get on too far of a tangent on <clears throat> Warrior, but yeah, I'm with you, man. I, I just don't think he knew how powerful he was, and that oh, look at this, he could just lighten up a little bit. Uh, just what we need. It's Vincent VK Kennedy Wall, Wall Street. Street. Yes, Vincent Kennedy Wall Street. That's what the VK stands for. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Duggan right away whacks him with the board immediately. <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to do. Sneak in into the ring. He's right there. Nick Patrick's looking right at him. 
Now, if there's no rules in the tape fist match, so I don't know that it matters. I think he slid a chain into Bubba, who just oh. knocked Duggan out cold with it. And Bubba's, Bubba's got, I think he's got a, a jock itch or something there. Looked like he was trying yeah, to hide the, hide, <laughs> hide the chain. Well, we saw what happened on Nitro when he tried to hide an object in his pocket. Those pockets aren't very deep. The object comes falling out. So at least this time he takes the chain, stuffs it down his, his front of his pants, though I don't know how well it's going to stay hidden in there. <laughs> it should just fall out one of the legs. But, and um... making the 10 count, that's it, right? That's it. That's the 10 count. Duggan's down. Bubba wins. He's pulling the chain back out and then placing it in his pocket. That makes no sense. But it looks like uh, Bubba Rogers going to get the win. Let's. <laughs> I always loved his right hand. I always loved his right hand, man. Oh, he I love always it. did a great right all hand. Of his, yeah, all of his punching was awesome. He's talking to Bobby here. You are, Bubba. I'll tell you. Yeah, he may be great, but he can hardly stand here. Doesn't matter. He won the match. He won the match. Even Bert Sugar's here covering this. The boxing pro. It took the World War Three. Big Bubba gets the win over Jim Duggan. And I can't believe we went through that whole match without mentioning just recently Jim Duggan and went back to Ireland in a, a phenomenal <laughs> vignette uh, to uh, rechart oh, his heritage. And uh, great granny Duggan, <laughs> former uh, brass knuckles champion or, or bare knuckles champion, maybe over there. I'm not sure. But yeah, so uh, here he's back and he's from a long line of bare knuckle fighters oh. and tape fist fighters. He didn't get the win here. I will say, though. Big Bubba's your I'm winner. I'm so glad this feud's on uh, Saturday night in syndication, <laughs> and it's hasn't made its way to Nitro completely yet. <laughs> Thank God for that. Yeah, and once we get going with a lot more of the talent that'll be coming in, most of that stuff will stay on Saturday night for years to come. But you won't, you don't even know the, that they're here in the company anymore if you don't watch Saturday night. And that happened with me. From time to time, I would see a guy somewhere, and I hadn't seen him in three or four months. I thought he had left the company, and turns out, nope, he was just on maybe a syndicated show that I wasn't watching at the time, or main event, or something like that. CompuServe, they're really right. pushing this CompuServe tonight. Type Go Connections. I guess oh, I'm sorry, Go Conventions. Uh, I think that's one of the good things that WCW actually had um, compared to WWF. A lot of their... Once the NWO took over, a lot of their talent was kind of relegated to Saturday night, and they basically had two different products going. It felt like syndication, yeah. and then you know your Saturday night main event run, and then you had Nitro by itself, like completely different than what you see on those shows. So you, you essentially almost had three different wrestling companies <laughs> going at the same time, um, not counting ECW. Um, but I'm just saying, like, uh, it could feel that way. You could watch a Nitro, then turn on Saturday night and see nothing that happened on Nitro. Or see the guys that were on Nitro, I should say. Ric Flair promo here as he was a heel feuding with a face Arn Anderson. Somehow they flip-flopped over the course of a week. Arn Anderson became the heel, aligned with Brian Pillman, feuding with Ric Flair. Flair went and he grabbed Sting. He said, Sting, I need your help. Sting said, no way, I'm not an idiot. You know how many times you screwed me over? <laughs> and Flair still went out there and gave it his all, one on two, versus Arn and Pillman. Finally earned the respect of Sting. Sting said, all right, Nate, I'll team up with you. They went to Halloween Havoc. Flair was attacked in the locker room. We never see it happen. 
And so we wind up with Sting coming out by himself, taking on Arn and Pillman. And somewhere in the match, Ric Flair comes down in his street clothes. He's going to wrestle by God, don't matter if he's injured or not. What winds up happening is Sting makes the hot tag. Flair comes in and immediately punches Sting right in the mouth. And the horsemen reform. The whole storyline made absolutely no sense to me. The whole reformation of the horsemen after Arn and Flair were going at it. And then the whole screw job over on Sting, because if you wanted to attack Sting, why didn't you just attack Sting? Yeah, I don't understand the point of it. I didn't know why you had to go through such a long, drawn-out story just to attack Sting and put the horsemen back together. To me, like the horsemen are, it's one of those groups that should have been, I get the the, the wanting to do the, the angle there with Flair and Arn. They probably wanted to do that themselves, have a match and see who's better, that type of deal. They probably did, probably had the say in that, and that's probably where they wanted to go. But I feel like the horsemen, you know, after that match, just shake hands. Okay, the better man won. Let's let's go. Um, and then maybe afterwards, just show the full horsemen, and then let them two go on a hunt for the next two members. Instead, you got this convoluted story that we've seen nine hundred times with Sting, and um, yeah, it sucked. Well, we get Sting and Flair here later tonight on the pay per view, and what's shitty about that is. We've already seen it twice on Nitro, obviously the, the debut edition of Nitro, and then just a week or two before this pay-per-view, Sting has Flair submit to the Scorpion Deathlock, so I really don't know the point of this. Like, it's it's already been done. So we're going to get another match, and I'm sure it's going to be a good match. It's Sting and Flair. But at this point, it's like well, you've already done this a couple times in the last couple months. And to be honest, it's the biggest drawing singles match probably on the card i mean that's probably what they sold the show on well, i think they the sold it yeah that. i don't I, I think the entire undercard was just thrown together it really didn't matter what you were putting on the show if you're not selling this show on the battle royal then there's a problem somewhere if you can't sell yeah, the show yeah, on sure. a 60 man three ring first time ever battle royal with hogan and basically everyone on your entire roster and then some in the match and here's sunny ono do we know he's sunny ono yet Let's see if the Chiron shows his name. I don't know. I, I, I would have to imagine we know his name by now. I'm not sure. And coming down to ringside, there's Akira Hokuto. And behind her, you might recognize Bull Nakano from the WWF, former women's champion in the WWF, beat Alundra Blaze. Had to drop the belt back after she was caught with cocaine, though. And she was out of the, the WWF at that point. But what a, what a talent, man. She was a beast, and I don't mean that. Uh, in any negative way based on her size or anything like that. She was just a beast. She was amazing in the ring. I love Bull Nakano. Oh, yeah. And if you look at pictures of her now, man, she's in phenomenal. She's she's pretty. She's in great shape yeah. now. And uh, good for her, man, that she got in at a young – I think she started like 14 years of age because they do that over there because most Japanese mm-hmm. ladies, they have to retire by 30. I don't know if they have to, but most of them do so that they can go still – become a wife, have children and stay, do the stay at home gimmick. And I'm not sure if that's, you know, evolved a lot since 1995, but I think, uh, you know, it's a lot in a lot of ways. It's still like that over there. So these girls, man, if they didn't get it done, you know, in their teens and twenties, you really weren't going to see them get it done. And that's why so many of them by their twenties were already in their primes. Oh yeah. Uh, The Japanese women are just amazing. Yeah, the I mean, first time I, I ever I saw, yeah, the first time I think I ever saw any of them was way back. Was it 1991 at uh, one of the WCW pay per views? Wrestle War. Yeah, 
Yeah, the first time I ever seen them. It's yeah. uh, and, and no, you know what? I take that back. I did see the Bomb Angels prior to that, and the Glamour Girls, but yeah, they were just doing things you didn't see. They were like twenty years ahead of the men here in the United States. Yeah, just incredible. They're they're amazing talents, all of them. Uh, like I said, I don't I don't think I've seen a bad one. I, wow! Uh, like I know we're gonna like the Survivor Series '95 match. Um, I remember getting that pay per view, and I'm just like, I watch it, and eh, I don't want to see this. It's a bunch of women. Like you, you don't see it in WWF. It's not sold as something that no. you should care about. So I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, whatever. And then you turn it on, and they're, they're in there, and it's like, holy crap! Like. Even the eleven-year-old me was like, "Man, this woman, like Aja Kong and Caparita Asari and all those guys, those, all those women—they're just flying all over the place, doing things you've never seen before, and you can't help but get entrenched in what's going on." So, um, yeah. just awesome. And so Nakano and Hokuto are in here against Cutie Suzuki. She's the one on the apron right now. Man, I wish my wife had that outfit. And the girl in the red is Mayumi Ozaki, and Ozaki was a pretty talented girl. Though I think, if I remember correctly, in this match, she takes a couple of nasty bumps right on her head. But uh, Cutie Suzuki reaching in, trying to get that tag. Of course, they're the baby faces, in case you couldn't tell. Nakano already has experience. And and most of you might remember Nakano, not just from WWF. She worked here in WCW a little bit, and so did uh, Hokuto. So uh, those two are the more well-known of the four in the ring. But all four of them were prominently featured in Japan. And rightfully so, all great workers, even if they look a little mismatched here based on the size of one team compared to the other. Yeah, the All Japan women, uh, I think, I don't know if there's any, there's more five-star matches out there from a company compared to that one. Um, No, and I really couldn't get into women's wrestling in the United States back in this time period. And and right, you you could guess why. I mean, just just look at what was being put on TV. But uh, you you pop in an all Japan women's show, and if you can't get in get into that action, then you're you're not into wrestling. They they, they beat the living hell out of each other. Looks like a vegematic maybe here. Well, not quite, but it was kind of interesting seeing what they were going to go for there. Ozaki taking the heat. I, I don't want to sound stupid here, but is one of these. Women, Onita's girl. I don't know. I know Hokuto is with Sasaki, right? Kinsuke uh, Sasaki. Yeah, Sasaki's uh, Kinsuke Sasaki is with Hokuto. They got married. I think they got married not too long before this. I know it was around this time period. Um, I don't know anything about Onita or any girl that he was with, so uh, it's hard for me to say. I was just curious. I, I could have sworn I thought I'd seen it. Where he was with one of them, but I, I couldn't say which one. Yeah, is there I, I, is there a woman that was prominent in FMW? I know you. I know you know a lot about them. Uh, there, there were quite a few that came through there during that period where they were pushing the women. They had the women's division there, but that was early. I don't want to say early on FMW, but that was like that ninety six, ninety seven era FMW. Right. The names escape me right now. It's been twenty years since I've watched. Uh, <laughs> well. Probably about 17, 18 years since I really watched FMW. My boy, Hayabusa, man. Sad, but that's another story. Now we got dueling submission holds here. Dueling half crabs, one one from each side. 
and the baby faces look like they got the heels in a little bit of trouble, but Nakano just <laughs> shoves Ozaki off. At least that's realistic. And she just walks out of the ring, casually walks back over to her corner. I wonder if these girls keep the United States format here because that's not the the whole hot tag gimmick. That's not really a thing, especially back here in Japan. So I'm wondering if they work this style for the duration of the match. It doesn't really look like it looks like we're just going to get some back and forth, which I'm not complaining about. She's sitting. She's got her leg propped on the bottom rope, but she's dropping down on, on her inner thigh or right on her hip. Cool outfit, though. I'll give her that much. Oh, Kitty yeah. Suzuki. She looks great. Well, Bull Nakano must have an eyelash in her eye. I'm not really sure what's going on there. She has a little twitch. What's funny here is the heels are doing all the big high spots, and the uh, babyface girls, they're just working half crabs. So they need to – I know it's got to be a little hard to, to hit anything too big on these – these bigger gals, but, and then Suzuki or Suzuki <laughs> drop kicks her own partner. And that's more of a heel spot as well. But of course, I guess they're really not working so much baby face and heel here as they are just two no. teams going at it. Bull Nakano going up for the moonsault. She misses, but very impressive. Oh yeah. Ozaki so with a double stomp, so fluid. double stomp from Suzuki. And like I said, man, if you can't, even if you're not into women's wrestling back in 95, like, how can you not be entertained by this? I mean, Coupe de Gras it's like number, constant movement. Coupe de Gras number four is the, mar- yeah, the marks of today are like, how did she kick out at four Coupe de Gras? <laughs> it's just another move here, buddy. <laughs> Double suplex. Oh, I see what's coming here. Very, very nice. Bull Nakano suplexes both girls. Quick tag to Hokuto. Misses a diving splash on both girls, though. I will say, man, you mentioned this to me a long time ago, mm-hmm. and um, it, it's very prevalent here. So it's just weird, the stereotypes that we get with the women that you don't really necessarily get with the men. The The, the heels have to look ugly, the face paint, the weird hair, um, the gimmicks the are- and things like that, where the, where yeah. the cute ones have, you know, like the – the ballerina looking outfits from cutie Suzuki and, and, and things like that. Yeah, the uh, baby, you it the babies are, work, are are basically wearing lingerie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Double pin. And you mentioned it with like Sherry, how she always had to get the ugly makeup on and, and look ugly. And, uh, because Elizabeth was around and things like that, I never really paid attention to it, but it really sticks out here. And, um, it's just a shame. Like, I, you, you kind of wish for these. I know it didn't really matter in Japan. It probably didn't matter there. Um, but oh, look at this. It, it's just, oh. Oh. <laughs> Great suplex. No, no but I, I know exactly what you're saying, and I agree with you. And you know, you know what else is unfortunate, too, is we're really not that. Well, here we go with the German. Wow. over. Oh, my God. She over-rotated oh. on it. You don't need to ger- <laughs> jump on a German when somebody else had to throw a German. Uh, you don't need to jump with it. <laughs> Believe me. She did. <laughs> she ate it. <laughs> Breaks up the count. Might have, might have needed to break up the count. Yeah, I remember taking a couple of rough moves. Oh, wow, Nakano just <laughs> blasts Cutie and <laughs> knocks her on her ass. But I remember, that's not even like, I don't think that's the last time. Ozaki, she takes something on her head. It just hasn't, I don't know if it's happened yet. I, I don't know if I missed it. 
But, you know, it's so sad to know that Medusa's on her way in. All these girls just put on this clinic here, or at least pretty da- for, for the United States, this is a damn fine women's match. Probably underwhelming yeah. in Japan. Look at that dive by Hokuto. The, the heel girls are the oh. ones doing all the big spots. Phenomenal stuff by Hokuto. She's checking on the girls there. Checking on the girls there. Make sure they're okay. I was just going to say, it's unfortunate. You kind of wish they could just get themselves over. It doesn't matter if they're if a heel's cute or ugly or or whatever the case may be. Just let the talent speak for itself. There it is. And, right ooh. on her head. LOD, right on her head. Doomsday device. <laughs> that was rough. Yes, yeah, She pulled, pulled the Henry, Henry Godwin. Luckily, she's about 200 pounds lighter. Maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's, she's a tiny girl. Oh, looks yeah, like Nakano's is. going up maybe for the leg drop. This could be it. This might do it. There it is, the guillotine. I think that's how she beat Alundra Blaze for the belt. Two, three. That's it. The heels win. I know Nitro is only an hour right now, so it's hard to say put this on every week. But there's got to be somewhere on your roster where you can throw these girls on once a week. Uh, was one of your programs, and even if it's syndication, were they, were they until on the until things catch on. Well, I'm saying keeping them on full time and keeping you know Medusa comes in, and then obviously Vince has no need for Aja Kong and that whole group either. So you bring all some of them in as well. Look at the roster of talent you have. You can't tell Ooh. me this isn't going to get over. Watching this match, how is this not entertaining? There was never a, really a dull moment in the match. I mean, the uh, Suzuki and Ozaki really really couldn't do a whole lot with the bigger girls, so they couldn't really hit any big spots. So it was really Hokuto and, and Nakano really dominating here, but it was still very entertaining. And based on Absolutely. this, you get this on World War Three. You got the, the ladies that were part of the Survivor Series the same month, also from Japan. Medusa slides in. She's just coming off a multiple-time run as WWF heavyweight champions or world cha- women's champion, so maybe you give her the belt or at least put her, obviously, in the main storyline. She's the main American anyway. And you got yourself a hell of a... It's almost like a cruiserweights, but but ladies. And I don't mean weight style. I just mean that, that type of action. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's no way you can't make this too. work. Yeah, I agree with you. That, that was really what I was getting at. So thank you for, for pointing that out. I totally forgot to mention my whole point was, you know, like, uh, they really did miss the boat. Uh, well, they yeah, bring in Medusa and then they really, they bring in Medusa. Now they have her, but they don't do anything with her. And there's your boy, Lex Luger, 1995 Lex Luger. I don't know if he's so much your boy here. No, but you can tell he's back on the roids. He was thinned out and everything. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's the WWF. And, WWF uh, Lex Luger looks nothing. Later. He looks nothing like WCW Lex Luger. <laughs> two months later, yeah. here we are. Well, it's like 89. Two months later, or two weeks later, he got on that cycle at the uh, early early part of 89, and <laughs> I think he put on 50 pounds. Yeah. He's, he's, he's already put on a good, uh, what would you say here? I'd say a good 25 pounds 30. at least. Yeah. 25, 30, yeah. He's definitely far more jacked. Who you looking you, at, Luger? Look up, buddy. Look he's, up. <laughs> he's reading. He's reading his teleprompter. He is. He is fucking reading, isn't he? There's no way you look down that long when you're cutting a promo. There's got to be a teleprompter. He's even posing for the teleprompter now. Oh my god! 
Can this guy do anything here? It's like. (laughs) The only thing I can think of, there's two cameras and uh, he's looking down at the wrong one. But yeah, it's probably a teleprompter, dude. Wow. If there was a camera down there, they sure as hell don't use it one time throughout this entire pay-per-view. That was sad. That was really, really sad. Uh, Wow. This uh, will probably wind up being a pretty decent match, too. It's Chris Benoit coming out. He's holding up the four because he's the newest member of the four horsemen. Getting ready to take on Kensuke Sasaki or Kensuke Sasaki, for those who want me to pronounce it properly. Uh, Sasaki and Benoit going out there. Uh, they're wrestling the, for the U.S. Heavyweight Championship. Sasaki, hi again. Wow, they make, you know. They're prone. Man, is Tommy Edwards yeah. back? My God, I love the cuts today, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord but Sasaki's the US heavyweight champion having defeated Sting I believe the match was in Japan and he's out with Sonny Ono too because we get that stereotype here as we work towards well, no, Star- the- Starcade in the best of seven series the WCW the, versus the, New Japan you have the pro show that Sonny Ono purchased right he, put only, well. he only purchased half now Let's let's be fair and he, yeah, he purchased it. He purchased it from from Bobby Heenan, who who apparently owns mm-hmm. some part of Pro that I didn't know about. I want to say, like, if I remember right, when I was reading the Observer, I do know. Like, we talked about this in the last match. Sasaki and Hokuto got married, and I think they, I think he said something about um, they spent their honeymoon in the states and. Uh, like during this time here with World War Three and look at this mullet on this referee. Out. Sorry, man, I just I this referee's mullet just wow. Epic. Look at the mullet on Sasaki there. Wow. Looking beast right there. Yeah, now you were saying they spent their honeymoon here in the States? Wow. Yeah. That Hooters girl's even tall too, man. Dang. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sasaki's even got a the, the hair the cut the the haircut on the sides there. Oh yeah. That's Makes the mullets stand out even more. You were saying something though about their honeymoon in the States. Were you following up with that or that was pretty much No, no, I was just, I was just saying I if I remember right, I think that's what Meltzer said. So, cuz we you said they got mentioned they got married right before this this show Sometimes, or pretty close to this show. Yeah, it seemed like yeah. it was in the later part of 95, I believe. And if I remember right, they said they were celebrating like their honeymoon on the, like for a whole month <laughs> over in the States while they do this tour here and get oh, ready for, for Starcade. Good for him. I mean, not a bad trade off. Were they in Disney by this point? They were in Disney by 95, right? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they, if they were working the pro tapings, yeah. I'm sure they got to go hang out at Disney and hang out in Florida. So I'm sure they had a yeah. great time. And it's kind of funny watching their matches back to back. We just saw Hokuto win. And now here, Kensuke Sasaki or Kinsuke going to try to make it two in a row for the family. And these guys actually had a match on Nitro. I don't know if you remembered it or not. Match went two and a half minutes because of <laughs> time restraints. They, they had to fit it into the show. We needed more time for Hogan to come out and cut promos and uh, things <laughs> things like that. So these guys wound up working a two and a half minute match. I believe Benoit went over in that one. So this was uh, Melser had reported going into this match that this was Sasaki uh, going, he's going to go over here on the pay-per-view in order to get back the win. That was the promise they made. So, hate to spoil that for anyone. I haven't, I haven't watched this match probably since it originally happened. So I have no idea off the top of my head who's going over here. But 
that's where I remember reading in the Observer that Meltzer reported that Sasaki would likely get the win back here. Yeah, it only makes sense. It's crazy the dealings that you had to do for Japan um, to protect their guys and, and things along those lines that you had to. I'm sure it was a pain in the butt at some point, but um, at some during sometimes. But it's pretty cool that they did this and brought these guys in way more than WWF ever did or ever have really outside of the '80s. Yeah, and I'll, I'll spoil it even further. Saki must have to grab the win here because he he retains the title. I know that because he winds up losing it in a match to the one man gang where he uh, refuses to lose the match, lose the title to the gang. And they have to work a gimmick and basically pull a screw job on Sasaki where the gang hits his 747 and gets a two count and they call for the bell and um, they restart the match because it was only a two count. But on WCW TV, they call for the bell and they go to commercial. So <laughs> the yeah. gang wins the title in America, but for Sasaki, they let the match continue and Sasaki got the win. So he left that night thinking that he was still champion until WCW TV came on and the gang won the belt. And I think that was at a pay-per-view or something like a, a dark match after a pay-per-view might've been this one or Starcade. I'm not, I'm not really cer- certain, but uh, they basically screw Sasaki over. I wonder what new Japan and and Sasaki thought about that since they had this working relationship yet they basically had to screw Sasaki in order to get their belt back. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm I'm saying. Like that business, hard telling how it's going to shake out. It's tough. I don't know why you put belts on these guys. Um, When you know, like they're really protective of their guys and don't want them doing jobs and, and things like that. So why in the world would you put a title on, especially your U.S. title, when you know it's a pain in the ass to get them to do jobs and things like that? So, Wait. not very smart. No, and if you remember, I think the gang, this is either the gang's debut or you would just been back a week or two in WCW by this point. So, it was really odd that he was chosen to be the one to give the belt to. Though there were, were reports that initially upon his debut, he was supposed to be the one to replace the Yeti, the Yeti in uh, the World War Three Battle Royal. Basically, not replace him, yet they're both in the Battle Royal, but basically replace him as that third giant. And uh, we'll talk a little right. bit more about all that nonsense when we get closer to the Battle Royal. Uh, I know there's uh, got to be some downtime here still left on the pay-per-view to discuss that. I don't want to take too much away from these guys, talk a little bit more about these guys and things, but it's just so odd. Like who is Sasaki to come over here on WCW's dime and on Disney's dime, <laughs> you know, have, have that honeymoon and have a good time and, and get to be showcased here on um, American pay-per-view and nitro and refuse to drop the belt to whoever they ask him to drop them. It's their belt, not his. I mean, he's going back to Japan, yeah. at, you know, by the end of the year. So, And they've, and it, they've, they've dealt with him for a long time, years. Yeah, going back this to 92. His first rodeo. Yeah, Watts had him in there, and I think I think that was a nice counter out of the Boston Crab attempt. Oh, let's, let's check out this suicide dive here. Well, I had to catch himself there on the rail. He would have landed on top yeah, of the railing. Yeah, if he hadn't grabbed that, that rail, he would have sailed into the front row. Benoit with that suicide dive. Ugh. Probably, probably shouldn't have put that sentence together. 
was thinking the same thing. It's not funny, but uh, I can't. I um, can't go. Can't go back. Uh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, Sasaki. Yeah, we, you were talking yeah. about Sasaki coming in in '92 when he was uh, really just still a green guy. He was coming over here to get his feet wet, like we've seen so many other guys do. Muda and and you know uh, tons of names, Tenru and Onita and so many guys before him. And he comes over here to learn the American style in 92. And now he's back here in 95. And they don't really play up his time here from before, because if it doesn't happen now, look at this lady in the, the, look at the lady yelling at the guy in the front row. She's letting him have it. What the hell's going on? She, she was, she For was, what? Oh, now she threw up her hands. Bop a boopy, bop a boopy. She's, Yelling at somebody. I don't know what's going on. Sonny Ono joining commentary. Let's listen to his. <laughs> How much money are you asking for Bobby Lafrenia? Uh, Bobby Hina-san is a very smart businessman, and we are a very smart businessman. So we have made some adjustment with uh, uh, compensation from the stockade, and we have uh, worked out a deal with stockade. Oh, okay. Wow, what an accent. It's not often that you see guys of Asian descent or, <laughs> or that are Asian, Asian American, um, basically making a stereotype of their own, <laughs> their own ancestry. They're ah, oh, very good, very good, Bobby Heenan son. They yeah, make they're that, very uh, prideful. They don't do they don't do that stuff, and so I, I actually enjoyed Sonny Ono. I, I thought he was great. Uh, I love the camera gimmick that he had. Uh, the disposable camera. The original, the yeah, uh, the inventor of the the innovator of the selfie, Sonny Ono. Yeah, and um, I just really really enjoyed his work. I love it when Chono turns on him and joins the NWO. Um, it kind of went downhill a little bit, but I Another I, I always liked him. Two reverse tombstones on the same pay per view. Boom. It's you know, an entertaining I, I, spot. I think, um, oh, I, I, I used to like when Rick Rude would do, did it with Sting, did it with Steamboat, did it with Dustin. Always looked really good in WCW. I don't, I'm glad he never tried that with the Warrior, but <laughs> right. I always looked good here in WCW. Diving headbutt there, Shades of Dynamite Kid, Benoit's idol. Take that for what it's yeah. worth. Sasaki kicks what did you out. Say about I think he was. He was oh, I was just—I was gonna say I—I I thought he fit in well, like as a manager. He was uh, more of that gimmick manager. He wasn't going to go cut a, a, a Bobby Heenan promo, but mm-hmm. I thought—I thought he was fine, especially with some of the guys they gave him. Maybe he had they, a great they, look too, and I, I it, again, his facials were really good as well. Kind of like when we were talking about with Kimberly. Yeah, it's uh, like that Gary Hart look you, you've you've mentioned before. How Gary Hart just looks like somebody that you don't want to screw with from the streets of Chicago, which is basically, you know, where he came from. And if you listen to if you listen to Gary Hart tell you that he's somebody you didn't want to screw with. So, uh, <laughs> Sonny Ono kind of has yeah. that that demeanor here. Not that he's uh, looks like a mobster from Chicago, but he just looks like the 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 gimmick he's portraying. He he fits that look, so it works really well for him. Absolutely. And I think as time goes on, I think as time, look at this choke slam, (laughs) hooked a leg and nice nice move. But I think as time went on, he also uh, dropped some of the accent. It wasn't so over the top. Yeah. Nice submission hold there. That's awesome. Yeah, Sasaki liked to use that hold. I forgot what he called it, but Benoit straight to the ropes to break that one. 
How good were were him and uh, who was it, Animal together, or was it Hawk? Hawk, Hawk the Hellraisers. Yeah, that's when Hawk left yeah. WWF and Animal. <laughs> I think he said on uh, what was that show on Vice? What's that called? I can't think. Oh, there it is, Northern oh, Lights Bomb. That's Hokuto's oh, finisher. Two, three. Does his wife's finisher to put away Benoit? Very cool. Putting his wife over. And Sasaki will retain the title here over Benoit, but he'll job to the one-man gang, by God. Re- retains the belt here. Yeah. That was a jobbed, solid match. Uh, he jobbed up Benoit on Nitro in two and a half minutes to a, what was it? A, was it? I think it was the... Um, dragon suplex, maybe? The the full, yeah, the dragon suplex with the mm-hmm. bridge. Pending. I can't think of the word. Well, Suzaki's champion now. I, maybe he did that job on Nitro because he knew he was getting the U.S. belt from Sting. And there's that choke slam, that choke yeah. bomb. That's that awesome. Was, That's a great looking move. That was a fun little match. I thought the finish was a little abrupt. I really didn't expect that, but Whoa. hit that Northern Northern Lights bomb on Benoit. Took him out. Made his wife happy. Maybe she made him happy. Fun night here at World War Three for the Sasaki family. They're still on the honeymoon. They're still yeah. on their honeymoon, so. <laughs> I have in my notes here right. coming up next we get a promo from the Giant and Kevin Sullivan so if you have anything else you want to talk about right now this is a perfect time Steve <laughs> uh, the Giant looks great man ah! That's... he looks great man oh, he's... I, I hate it that he got so dang like, heavy I know he really yeah. can't help it but uh, man this Giant right here when he's Fresh in the business, doing drop kicks and missile drop kicks off the top rope and the stuff he was doing. I just think he looks tremendous here. He looks amazing. Based on his size, it was probably wise that he cut out the the missile drop kicks. That probably wasn't going to be good for his health long term. And I hate to say that because it was so impressive and so awesome when he yeah. take those those uh, Harley Race style bumps out of the corner to the floor or hit a missile drop kick like you. So impressive. I mean, that's not even the word for him. Holy shit. When he did that, the first time I ever see him do that. I don't know if he said it was Hogan or somebody. Obviously, it makes sense if it was Hogan, but somebody told him, don't do that anymore. You know, you're going to kill yourself. And so he stopped doing it. And obviously, he got to the point where he couldn't do it, which is unfortunate. But it was really cool whenever he would bust something like that out every once in a great while. Just very, very impressive. And WCW had that smaller ring compared to the WWF. So when he did that missile drop kick, like he jumped off the top rope and went from basically one corner to the other because of how tall he is. And it, yeah, it, it looks so ridiculous. Like it was almost like taking an LJN action figure and playing with it in a Hasbro ring, <laughs> having to jump off the top right, rope. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it just <laughs> it's looked exactly it's, right. It, it looked like uh, he was bigger than the actual ring when he would jump off the top rope. Very crazy. And there's the newly healed Jimmy Hart. Of course, he turned at Halloween Havoc and joined the Dungeon of Doom. If you listen to him tell the story, that was the plan all along. So way back in WWF, back when Beefcake got his face broken off, Hart turned on Money, Inc. to join Hogan in order to lure him to WCW so that one day a guy by the name of the Giant would debut in wrestling, Andre's son, the son of Andre here. And uh, this was Jimmy Hart's plan all along, though, Steve. Are you buying that? In wrestling world, yeah. <laughs> In reality, hell no. <laughs> it's just Jimmy, something to do. Jimmy Hart will sell anything, and he's proven that. Yeah. Hey, That's man, more power to him. Whatever it takes to make a buck. 
And Tony and Bobby are uh, obviously being told right now to kill time, kill time, stall, stall. As we cut back to them speaking, I you don't really see this too often, just throwing to the announcers. But I guess they are here. They're they're putting over Starcade. And if you listen to Sonny Ono, that brief moment he spoke, he did mention something about making a deal to participate as part of Starcade. And that was the best of seven series we were we were talking about. And which uh, it's Crazy. seven WCW guys taking on seven New Japan guys in a best of seven singles matches to see who's the World Cup champion or whatever the hell they called it. I can't really remember. That may have been it, though, World Cup. I'm not sure. I know that's what TNA called it when they did their their tournament type deal with the different countries, but it's crazy. Like Starcade's supposed to be WCW's WrestleMania, and they're like from '91 on, even '90 when they had the what which one had the tournament? Both of them had tournament '89. '89 was the Iron Man tournament, and '90 was the Pat O'Connor tournament. Yeah, and then '91 you had Battle Bowl '92. Yeah, Battle Bowl. Uh, 93, you finally had a regular, decent show. And then 94, you had (laughs) arguably the worst Starcade of all time. And then 95, you go back to another gimmick. I need to apologize to my brother if he's listening to. I I always say I conned him into it. I didn't really think I was conning him into it, but I I did get him to pay half on that Starcade 94. I, he was staying the night over my house and I kind of talked him into it. Man, would it be cool to see, you know, Hogan and Beefcake, you know, and no, it wouldn't be cool. No, not at all. But he did pay for half. So even though I, it wasn't in my intentions were to con him this many years later, I felt like I conned him. So I apologize. <laughs> and we're ignoring the uh, feud, uh, feud video here of Randy Savage and Luger. And uh, basically, the, the story goes, Luger shows up in WCW, fresh off his WWF run. Savage doesn't trust him from the beginning. He's warning Hogan. He's warning everyone, don't trust Luger. And what happens? Luger turns heel. So Savage is right. This is one instance where Savage's paranoia pays off. And uh, an- another part of the story is, uh, you guys might notice, I think it's his left arm. Is it his left arm, Steve? I'm pretty sure. Savage, you'll see has a very well heavily bandaged up left elbow and tricep area. That's because he's separated, torn his tricep, but he's continued to wrestle. He took one week off outside of that, and that was what we were uh, referring to at the beginning of the pay-per-view, where Hogan claims that Meltzer uh, lied to everyone. It's been a ruse. There's nothing wrong with Savage's arm. He's only been having shitty matches that have been going anywhere from between two and five minutes, and he hasn't been able to use his arm, and it's been bandaged up. But apparently... Uh, it was all a ruse. They tricked us all along. It was Hogan and Savage's plan, and yet they continue to fool us because Savage comes out here, I believe, for this match, still taped up because he refuses to take time off to go get surgery, and we'll find out why by the end of this pay-per-view. But, yeah. But Hogan's uh, full of shit. I, I don't know how they can sell us that. It would be a better story to say that, yeah, he's working hurt. He's a macho man, and he's still you know, coming out here and doing what he's got to do. And look at him fight through the pain, you know. No, but instead, they they give us this, they feed us this line of bullshit that his arms one hundred percent. It's perfectly fine when you can see, uh, you know, Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder combined can see that Savage is hurting here. They they almost made it pointed it out to everyone by saying that it's fine when you see him come out here. I'm sure it's taped up, and I'm sure this match 
is not pretty, if I remember correctly. And I don't think it goes all that long. And I can't really complain about that because Lex Luger, since he's been back here in WCW, has been nothing short of dreadful in the ring. Yeah, he hasn't been very good at all. And, um, yeah, I'm sure this match is not very good at all either. And Macho is definitely injured. You can clearly tell he's working a completely different style than what we're accustomed to. And um, it's for one reason. Like, that arm dangles in almost every single one of his matches. Well, you can so, see him holding uh, it close close to his body right there. He's not, there's not even any movement in the arm right now. Yeah. Let's listen up, to, barely, let's listen up to Mach. Let's hear what he has to say. My term and the total package Lex Luger is going to find out that the Macho Man is the total pack. I'm going to get you. World War III happens in just a few seconds in that ring over there. Can I play the devil's advocate, Randy Savage? I have certainly got to point out to you the world knows about it. You've got a problem with that arm. How is that going to affect you tonight? You can't do it on guts alone. I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. A million percent? A million percent. I am the type of person that doesn't talk negative. I stay positive. Lex Luger, we got a date with Destiny right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of a kind, a macho man, Randy Savage. Let's get back to the ring here at World War III. A million percent. Only the Macho Man would go from a hundred to a million percent. I remember when Ric Flair came back in 89, he said he was 120%, which was a little high in and of itself. But here in 1995 WCW, Randy Savage is a million percent. And so even Mean Gene kind of contradicts what Hogan had to say about Savage's arm. Mean Gene says that there's an, uh, there's clearly an injury there. Savage says, according to him, it's a million percent. Gene didn't even look like he bought it there. Oh, yeah, I'm a million percent. Here we go. Going to get it done in the ring. Going to do it, Lex Luger. You better give me a real match or I'm going to kick your ass. Uh-huh. And Savage on his way down. I did like how they went straight from the promo to the intro. So there's not like downtime in between any of this. Like Savage didn't walk to the back so he could come out through the curtain like we've seen other guys do in the past. So Savage out first, which makes sense coming out of the promo. Luger will be out shortly, unfortunately. And if it was somebody else, maybe Savage could get away with with working a match here. I just don't see the point of having this match, knowing you're injured and knowing you're working a 30-minute battle royal later on the card. And I don't remember this match going very long, but I just, I don't know. Yeah, it almost almost feels like it's done because it has to be done. Um, You shot the angles. You thought he was going to be out, but he's not out, so he's here. So we got to kind of wrap it up at least a little bit here. So it almost feels like they kind of forced their hand or he forced their hand by not making it or having the surgery. So there is kind of weird to do all that and then not have the match. To be honest, there has to be no one on earth that would fault Randy Savage. If, if he just uh, sat out this match with Lex Luger, I know I wouldn't be mad with the macho man. If he'd said, going to call this one off, just going to go, go take a rest, wait for the battle Royal. Get it done, do the thing in the ring right there. And, uh, yeah, we'll just, uh, let Lex Luger, uh, he can win by forfeit. I don't care. It's still a better match than what we're going to have. Uh-huh. Something like that. Yeah, I, 
Yeah, I got you. I understand that, but I, I, I'm just saying, like, I, I think that's where Macho's mind was at, and um, Macho's not going to take any time off, man. We've already learned that. <laughs> How do so, you do? Hello. See, we could, we could look at more of the Hooters girls instead of Lex Luger and Randy Savage here. His arms at a million percent, says Randy Savage. Yet look at the look at he's got more tape on his arm Why than Jim Duggan. <laughs> he has more tape on that one arm than Duggan I had. That's, that's what I just said. Yeah, both of their arms put together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not okay. And this match likely won't be okay either. Randy Anderson that's trying to hold Savage back. And here he comes. Let's see how much he uses that left arm here. This is the this is uh this is uh selling one oh one too, isn't it? This is like ninety five Luger's like the epitome of the uh ah oh oh my god, we used to get a kick out of that as kids and making fun of Luger. <laughs> that was how he <laughs> sold, you know. He couldn't bump for shit. So I guess he thought the more he yelled, the the better seller he was. And it was so annoying to the point where if it would have been a drinking game, you would have went through bottles of of Jack Daniel or or vodka to, <laughs> before be you got done with a Luger match. You'd be dead. <laughs> Every he even you does know, it when he throws his, he even does it when he throws his own punches. That's what I was gonna say. He, I think he got so wrapped up in it that every time he made a movement, he just started yelling at some point. He just, everything was ah oh. In fact, let's let's see if we can pick it up. I'm gonna wait till it looks like there's gonna be a little. Flurry of offense here, and we'll see if we can pick up a couple. Rub. Into the corner, and Savage ran in with reckless abandon, and the loop got the big foot up, but he missed the clothesline. The Macho Man did not, and that was a big one. Well, answer me that. So Luger kicks the Macho Man and, and makes no, the noise like he was the one that got it. So everything hurts Luger. Wow, look at that. That was terrible. <laughs> Savage with a Boston yeah, crab. We talked about that spot, how it can look good if you do it right. <laughs> that clearly was not it. Well, I can, I'll can. i say this up. much. I, I've seen it done right, and I've seen it look awesome. I've seen it done so-so, and it looks, and yeah, whatever. I've never seen it done that bad. <laughs> you know, I know Savage's arms hurt, but I can't blame Savage, you know, completely yeah. for that. Just Luger's just such a... It's a combination uh, of both. Luger's him, so oh, I wish I wish I had heard whatever noise he made there. Let's see what Luger has to say outside the ring. Into the ring steps, into the pole, into the railing. That's what he wants. He wants to hurt Lex Luger. I know, but he's also got this back. Hit him again. 60, 60, WCW superstar. And with a man- it just got so comical here at this point in his career where he every single punch, every single move, he was just yelling. He, he would get Irish whipped and just yell. Let out a, a a sob or a sigh or a a painful groan. I don't know what was going through his mind. I don't know how guys kept a straight face in there with that going. On. I would have told him to knock it off. It's like Serena Williams playing tennis when she's losing. She grunts and gets louder and louder, try to throw her opponent off. Jimmy Hart uh, I distracting. Think it's just Luger being lazy. Savage going up. Like drops the elbow. Right. I yell and be loud, people realize will hopefully forget that I'm sucking ass in the ring. <laughs> so he's the problem with Luger is he got too big and two, he's been hanging out in WWF for too long. I um, don't you can't blame WWF for this. Luger was Luger was done before he came to the Luger I mean if you go back and watch 
Luger when he got jacked up in WCW near the end. Uh, I, I, uh, you can make excuses for your help. for your buddy, but I just you know I just think he got lazy. I don't blame a promotion. I, I just think he got big. Then he came to the WWE, and I think he tried, and he just sucked. Was the was the issue there? Because he was doing things that it was just I, they just weren't getting over. Of course, he blew his yeah. big run there in '93 with a piss poor attitude. But yeah, I don't know, man. This I'm going to do it. I think, I think he was just checked out, to be honest with you. I don't, I didn't mind his title run in 91. It wasn't the worst. Uh, it wasn't very good. But when his contract ran out and he decided to stay at home and just then leave altogether and finish up with Super Brawl, that match was horrible um, yeah. with Sting. And, uh, and he had ballooned up. He got really jacked, too, by that point. Here we go. Torture rack yeah. on the floor. He's getting ready for WBF there. <laughs> He's ready to yeah. win a bodybuilding t- title. And as uh, Luger has the torture rack applied on the floor, we'll do a timestamp check real quick for everyone because we haven't done that yet. We're at an hour and 26 minutes and 20, 21, 22, 23. And he drops Savage on the floor. Randy Anderson looks like he... Yeah, he's restarting the count. Savage is out on the floor from the torture rack, but Luger's going back out to get him. Savage did wind up hitting that elbow a little bit ago there. But Jimmy Hart had the referee distracted, distracted, right? Yeah, Yeah, so... We're only like five minutes into this match, and it's... it's, I I wouldn't say it dragged, but it's not been good. I think the biggest problem for Luger, and uh, since we're about to wrap up here, I, I think the biggest issue with Luger is he got way too big for his own good. And then when Vince started throwing money at him the way he did, uh, I'm sure he realized, okay, I don't have to do nothing to get paid. My body's going to take me where I want to go. And uh, he stopped caring. Step uh, over armbar. And remember, this arm's not injured, but he does a step over armbar. Gets the win. I, obviously, Savage didn't submit, however. He's knocked out cold from a torture rack. Or was he knocked out from the post shot before he was put in the torture rack? I'm not really sure. Hard telling. He's just knocked out. Yeah. Savage so, always sold this spot so great, man. When he was knocked out, he was he out. sold it so good. Yeah. Yeah, he was he was awesome. And I now macho. we're getting a little reverse play here because it was Sting who had the Scorpion Death Lock on Ric Flair on an episode of Nitro, and it was Luger who got him to break the hold by coming in and, and whispering to him. And now the roles are reversed here as Luger has the arm bar applied on Savage, and it's Sting who comes out and gets him to break the hold. Luger the heel with Jimmy Hart. This is such a weird dynamic. Sting checking on the Macho Man, but he's best friends with Lex Luger. So this is such a weird dynamic, very different. If they'd ever actually knew where they were going with this and it made sense, it might have been good, but there's really never a payoff. No, the NWO came and everything just stopped, and uh, it's unfortunate because they keep this going somehow for months. And, yeah, uh, I think I think they kept it going for months because they didn't know what the hell where the hell they were going. So I don't know if there were ever really was going to be a payoff. To be honest with you, yeah, I don't know, but I, I felt like though it, it it was still intriguing. They built it up, and I agree with you. I don't think they had any idea where they wanted to go or how it was going to end. But um, you're telling I me really lost interest in it. As this match went five and a half minutes, I just looked up the results online. This match went about five and a half minutes. 
it really was a nothing match. You're risking injury. You know you're going back out here with that elbow for 30 minutes later on tonight. You worked in the whole battle royal. Couldn't they have just cut right to the finish, had Luger come out, attack him in the aisle, rack him in the aisle, throw him in the ring and do the armbar and just call it quits? Couldn't we have done that? But Savage wanted to go out fighting, I guess. Just uh, hindsight. Something to think about, I guess. I just feel like this entire run with Savage's injury, there's so many times he's done things that are just unnecessary. Matches with guys like uh, Ming on Nitro with a torn tricep. It just seems pointless. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, you already know he's hurt and he needs time off, so why risk it when you – if anything, why not just save it for the pay-per-view? You know you're hurt. You're not going to make it. You don't need to be on TV. But I, I guess in the middle of a war, I, we've had this conversation. I think in the middle of a war, you need your horses, and he's one of those guys, and he wanted to stick it to Vince. And uh, torn tricep or not, doesn't care. He's going to be out there. And uh, he's wired differently, my man. <laughs> we all know that. So yeah, yeah, definitely. It means he's smarter. He's just, uh, he is what he is, and or he was what he was, I should say, and um, God love him. I'd like to commend WCW for showing the entire feud recap of the Flair and Sting feud, but 50% of this recap has been about the Flair and Arn Anderson feud, and you would think that they would want you to forget all about that because none of this makes any sense. So the one time that they actually do show a feud recap, and a really good one because they're showing everything. Uh, the one time they show it is the one time they probably shouldn't have shown it and reminded everyone how, how dumb this entire storyline was before they actually turned on Sting here as we're watching right now. And I do love how Ric Flair tagged in, <laughs> bounced off the ropes, strutted over, and punched Sting in the face. Just another classic moment from Ric Flair. I've a, never noticed this until right now is um, Arn Anderson runs over to get close to Flair to like hit him just to kind of give you the idea that he's going to and then he nails Sting. So I, I never really noticed Arn in that situation. I always just watch Flair because he comes in strutting, being stupid. But uh, Arn runs over and acts like he's going to get hit. And I actually like the, these graphics here. I know they're not. I know they're not very good for. They're not very good for today's standard. But it's the ninety-five. Different. It's something different. different. I, I remember that too. The cartoon-looking graphics. I haven't seen this since in Comic a, book, yeah. well over twenty years. But yeah, I, I remember when I saw this. I was like, oh, that was different. And we're gonna yeah, get the, the match. We just saw clips from their last match. They, they, I'm glad they mentioned this is a return match and try to instead of trying to sell this as like a uh, a big deal in it in by itself because we did get the match with. Sting and Flair on Nitro just within the last couple of weeks, I believe. Yeah. Flair making his Hell way out. Nitro's only been on for what, six, seven weeks at this point? So, I mean, they fought twice in a seven week span. This is the third time. Oh, no. It's been so, on. Oh, no. It's been on longer than that. Uh, four, eight, maybe 12 weeks. This is the end of November. So, three months. So, Nitro's probably been on a good yeah. roughly 12 weeks. But yeah, in those 12 weeks. They've already wrestled each other twice on Nitro and now here on the yeah. pay-per-view. So this, this is, I felt like this show and I hate to call matches like Flair and Sting a throwaway, but I felt like this entire undercard was a throwaway. It was like, well, we'll give them a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but really we're just trying to get to that battle royal. It was the whole thing. And Bischoff had 
mentioned on this podcast before, because I remember listening to at least part of this podcast, not maybe, maybe not the results of the show, but just the whole idea behind this. And really the whole idea was they knew they had to go to 12 pay-per-views. They wanted to put out something. It wasn't really a house show business anymore. The revenue was going to be made and things like this here, TV and pay-per-view. And so they knew they needed to catch a gimmick, so to speak on some of these pay-per-views. So some people think the battle Royal was created for the heavyweight title, but the truth really is this was planned long before they decided to add the heavyweight title as more of an incentive to watch it. And that was because they knew they needed gimmicks to make each pay-per-view stand out a little bit from one another so that every single one of them wasn't super brawl or slambery or whatever you want to call it. Now, obviously yeah, a lot makes sense. Now, obviously a lot of pay-per-views do wind up other than maybe some of the bash, the, maybe a bash of the beach was in the beach or road wild was at a, you know, a, a motorcycle rally, Harley rally or whatever, but it's in Sturgis, but it's uh, still most of the shows, most of the pay-per-views do still wind up just being your ordinary show as far as match match type goes. There's only so much you can do. And so this was something different, though, and I'll give them that much. Yeah, just look at WWE now. <laughs> Build around a couple matches, you know, it's, it's – uh... But yeah, I, I like this idea, and I do remember reading in the the Observer too from the melts that people in WWF are worried about the Rumble because uh, it's coming up in a, in two months, and uh, they just had this big battle royal here, so they was hoping they didn't like water down the market with the battle royal well, you, gimmick. So you got twice as many guys here and three times the ring, so you, yeah, you, you can figure that the dynamic. I mean, if you're if you, I guess I could understand them thinking in that way, but this is obviously a completely different. Fan base, I think, to a degree, as we've seen since Raw and Nitro started going up against each other, Raw's kind of holding roughly what the ratings were before Nitro ever came on TV. So I think they have their own fan base to a degree. I mean, I was a fan of both. I watched both. So it was a little, you know, I'm sure there was a lot of people that did that too. So I was going to watch World War Three and the Royal Rumble. So it really didn't make a difference there. But I get what they were thinking and that, you know, not everybody bought every pay-per-view or got every pay-per-view. So, you know, everybody yeah. just watched this 60-man show here in November, you know, two months later, the Royal Rumble. Completely different dynamic, completely different roster, though. Uh, I'd be curious to see what the buy rate was. I don't know that WCW's buy rates were really doing anything up against Vince, though Vince had some pretty bad ones here, especially with the once the in-your-houses and things started going. 1995 was not exactly the greatest year of wrestling for the WWF pay-per-views. For anybody, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, wrestling was definitely down in '95, and the pay per view is no different. No, but the Monday Night War did did light a fire, you know, and, and certainly well, <laughs> Flair gyrating <laughs> got got a couple guys to jump up, and that woman right behind him damn near passed out. She's like holding her heart. So <laughs> Flair is still the man. And this is, uh, if I remember yeah. correctly, this match, this, you know, it's like the fire that their early matches had, they really didn't have here in the, in the mid and late 90 matches, but there was still nothing wrong with the matches. They were, you were just going to get good matches. And I, I hate to make that even sound bad, but you know, this wasn't, I don't think that this is, you know, going to wind up being a classic, but I'm also betting at the same time, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the match. It's Flair now ends up in the third ring. He's been in all three now, just running away from Sting, calling him. 
what the hell's going Well, I remember the storyline here with Sherry and Robert Parker. She hit her head and fell in love with them or something along those lines. But this just seems like the oddest match to bring them out in. Like, <laughs> they, the they have nothing. Sense, it's probably the longest match on the show. So, I mean, you sent them out there for those other ones. I mean, it's only, what, eight, nine minutes. This one's probably going to be the longest outside of the Battle Royal. So. Well, how long are you going to use them for, though? A 30-second spot? You could have done this in, uh, think, based, uh, based on the way Bischoff shits all over the uh, undercard matches on Nitro, you would have figured he would have had no problem putting him out there during the Johnny B. Bad match or the Chris Benoit match. I mean, a 10-minute match, that's plenty enough time to bring these guys out and do whatever the hell they just did. I just I don't understand the point in general. Like, why do they need to be on this pay-per-view? They're not prominently featured on Nitro. So what is, what is the story here that they need this to be on the pay-per-view? It just seems like really, really odd that they, they told Sherry and Robert Fuller or Rob Parker, whatever you want to call it, they sent them out here. Just seems really odd. Like we're in the middle of the Sting Flare feud. This is basically your main event besides the Battle Royal, and you've just got these two managers out here uh, cuddling. Just really weird <laughs> timing on the show. I think they're out there the whole match, if I remember right. They're out there for quite a while. I think they show them a couple times, but yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't. None half this show doesn't make sense, to be honest with you. At least these big matches don't, or what led to them anyway. Yeah, the the whole storylines behind these, the Luger and Savage and the Sting and Flair, there's a lot of a lot of holes in the booking here. <laughs> this point. And, and continues into the that Battle much. Royal as well with some of the stuff going on there. Yeah. And these guys, these Still two, the wall, look how quick these kip-ups are by Sting. Wow. That was uh, really impressive. Effortless. I don't know. That I've, I've seen a faster kip up than that. And Flair is starting to take his bumps early on. There's the press. I just so watched Rick, their match from uh, Saturday night, 93 <laughs> on the network. And uh, great stuff. Back to the uh, middle ring. Flair is making sure everyone's going to get their money's worth in his match anyway. As he's been in every ring so far. He's made sure everyone in the... Sting misses a stinger splash against the railing. Fun spot there, and somebody's coat went flying. He loves that spot. <laughs> he does it all the time. The blonde slowly fading away from Sting. Sting slowly changing that look. Ric Flair, he wouldn't dare show a root. But St- <laughs> Sting's growing his hair out. Nick Patrick, referee. At least I know this right. I had no idea who that mullet referee was from earlier on on the paper. I don't remember seeing him before. Not sure. Yeah, I couldn't tell you. I didn't get a good look at him, but I, I, from what I did see, I don't remember his name. I don't remember which one that was. Kind of odd. Flair's not really going after Sting here, capitalizing on Sting missing that splat. That was a good spot, missing the Stinger splash up against the railing there. But I'm sure Flair will uh, take advantage of it now. Oh, Sting goes back to the nose cell, though. The Vulcan death grip there. Oh, how's that? Not- oh, my God, Patrick, you didn't see that? I I love that he gave him that blatant low blow as Patrick is looking down at the choke. And then as soon as he low blows him, Patrick looks over at Sting and warns him not to choke so that he missed the low blow that he just saw. 
So at least they're trying. Excellent. Excellent refereeing there. It's better than what we get out of Nick Patrick next year at World War Three. Oh, don't remind I think it's me. Next year. I don't even want to think about all that nonsense. <laughs> Jericho. I'm pretty sure it's next year. I, I could be wrong. Though. Maybe 97. I don't know. They all oh, run there's, together. There's yeah, Parker yeah. and Sherry. They, they pulled up seats in the old retro 1980s WWF uh, interview area. <laughs> the stage. I don't uh, know what made, made WCW think to do that. Here. What's up? They, they wanted to see the best match on the card. That's what it is. Oh, so it's like he's taking her out to the movies, but they're already there, so he doesn't really have yeah. to spend a penny. That makes sense. Exactly. It's their date, and they're going to watch Flair and Sting here. Best match uh, on I don't, the card. I don't know that Robert Fuller ever had to spend a penny to, to get a girl to go back home with him. All he had to do was show him the old human tripod, the old <laughs> third leg there, the most legendary rod in wrestling history, <laughs> and a knee drop by the Nature Boy. I just, I never really, I just never really understood where they were going with this Parker and Sherry storyline. I don't think they knew where they were going with this uh, Rob Parker and Sherry storyline either. It's just something to do. Uh, To be honest with you, I think. Boom. Sherry doesn't last too much longer after this. Uh, She's there for a bit because uh, she, they do the uh, wedding gimmick at the clash or something like that. I, I think, don't they? Yeah, they do a wedding gimmick at the end of the, one of the clashes, and then Medusa comes in, and all hell breaks loose and all that. But I don't – because eventually in 96, Jacqueline comes in and takes over for Harlem Heat for a little bit. Wow. I don't I even remember I, that. I, I, I remember her being with Sullivan. I could be wrong. Right. Yeah, she's with Sullivan. Who, who knows, man? It, it kind of all runs together. Like I can pick things up from Raw, but – Nitro is just more of a, a cluster where Raw just seemed more streamlined and focused. I know it was all over the place, but the few well, when you're only made sense. When you're only pushing about well, when you're only pushing about eight guys, it's not too hard to stay focused. WCW, and the, um, nice move there by Flair. He wants Nick Patrick to check the time. And then he shit can sting out over the top rope to the floor. So at least in 1995 WCW, they've got that right. Whereas in 1989, they were just throwing guys over the top rope in front of the ref. And the ref was ha- having to just play stupid. <laughs> his, his own discretion there. Yeah. Sting hobbling. He come up gimp there from the bump to the floor, I guess. Maybe setting up for a figure four. Back to the, to the first ring. Yeah, they've been all over the place. Flair and I, here for giving, yeah. them, uh, giving everybody their opportunity to enjoy the match. And I, you know, I saw Ric Flair wrestle Randy Savage uh, for the WWF title. I guess Flair would have been champ. No, Savage would have been champion inside a steel cage. And they did this spot where Flair climbs up to escape, gets to the corner, and hangs out. And Savage pulls his trunks down. Flair's ass is shown to the entire Coliseum and God bless Ric Flair because he does this on all four sides of the ring. 
on all four sides of the cage, trying to climb out over top of the cage. Same exact spot. And he hangs there, like dangling for like 30 seconds on each side to give everyone a big shot of Ric Flair's ass. But I, I give him credit because it was a funny, you know, it's a comedy spot, but he wanted to make sure that he got it in on for everyone that was there paying, paying <laughs> to see the show. So I thought that was really cool. I even realized what he was doing way back when that was, I was, you know, 13 years old or something like that. And even then I realized what he was doing. And, um, uh, once he started doing it on the second side, I knew he was making the rounds. Yeah, but it was really cool. <laughs> Just uh, uh, so Flair was pretty good about making sure people got their money's worth out of him, and I'm sure it was like an ego thing too. Look at Sting, no selling the figure four. <laughs> Flair does a great job of selling himself when whenever Sting would no sell this this hold, which was so funny because it was Flair's finisher. Sting turned that over pretty fast. Oh yeah, Flair is just a pro's pro, man. I think he cared about obviously the money and things like that, but you never felt cheated watching a Ric Flair match ever. I mean, even old Ric Flair, you know, 2005, six, whatever, whenever he retired, Oh eight, like I, I never felt cheated by a Flair match. He gave it everything he had. Was it his best every time later years? No. I mean, he would even tell you he doesn't even <laughs> oh, like his match with Shawn Michaels and, and, and things like that. But, um, I just, man, what a guy, what a talent and everything. He, he's the total package for sure. Sting no selling again as Flair's playing that. You know, I, I think it was great to have guys like Flair and Savage whose ego was not just about getting themselves over, but just about making sure they they can do the absolute best they possibly can to be called the best versus guys with egos like Lex Luger who were just out there, you know, uh, doing the minimal do they the could. Yeah while uh, just loving themselves. And we're right back to some of the spots we saw earlier. Flair can only take so many press slams in a match, but we're right back at it here. Feels like we're going into the finish, though. And a thumb to the eye. Woo! Flair's going up top. I think that's why those guys are so endearing to everybody, is because you never felt cheated. And I know Macho Man, the story goes in TNA that He's seen himself on TV, and he's like, I can't do this. Uh, this is not the macho man I want people to remember me as. And he yeah, quit. He, he just out. walked yeah. out. Yeah. And, um, like, it takes a man Upside to be down. able to recognize that and, and be able to step away and just go away. And um, not many people can do that. And this goes to show you he doesn't want to be out there at a 50% of macho man. And right. um, you can respect the hell out of that. And I respect the hell out of Flair here because I, I think this is his first match back. If I no, he did have that match on Nitro, but he had that torn rotator cuff and he was out for several weeks. And he's he's just right back in action and taking all these bumps, including if he takes this right here, the uh, superplex, which Flair used to love to take. Used to, and he always took it from the top rope. I'm, he always told whoever was giving it to him, "You better give it to me from the top rope." And here it goes, boom. Sting looks like he's going right into the Scorpion. These guys have imaginative sleep. Yeah, that's that's the crying shame about it. That's why I I say, and the Scorpion's on, right? He's given up. It's over. Sting wins the match. There's no horseman to be found, no mention of the horseman. Where's Arn? Where's Pillman? We've already seen Benoit. We know he's there. All these guys are likely in the Battle Royal, and nobody's out here to help Flair. So really weird booking there. You'd think... Somebody would have been out here running a little interference. They're the horseman, damn it. 
I will say this is probably <laughs> hey, you're gonna make me look like a complete jackass by having me team with you. Yeah, and turn your, on your me. job into my finisher. Like this is his payback for. Well, like Sting a did tell jackass. him. Sting did tell him, "Don't swerve me, bro. Don't swerve me, bro." Pretty much. And he swerved him. So I, I like this finish. I like this finish based off the story because I think you mentioned we mentioned it. We'll mention it on the Monday Warfare show how they didn't really like the angle and didn't want to do it for either for different reasons. And um, yeah, this is only fitting based off of that. Yeah, I'll I'll no go along with that. Dirty or anything. Yeah, clean cut. When as long as this is the end of the feud, if you want to call that a feud. As long as this is the is end it of it, over? This, well, <laughs> that's true. And I think they even sold this one of many times as the last time ever Sting and Flair, uh, maybe not in like the rule book, but or, or in contract form. But basically, this was going to settle the score. Obviously, it obviously does not. We see them continue to wrestle at, le- at the very least all the way to the uh, final Nitro, and it's it's time. Oh, yeah. It's time, Steve. We've made it, and we'll do another timestamp count now. While Tony and Bobby are talking. We're at an hour and 50 minutes and 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And Tony and Bobby are just one of three announced teams for this upcoming battle Royal. There's an announced team at each ring in order to call the action from their ring. And I believe they're going to, I don't know if they do it here. Or they do it here in a little bit, but we're going to go to the other rings and see the other announced teams. I know one of them is Eric Bischoff and death of baby. So I'm feel that villa. Very entertaining, if you will. And I'm not sure who's part of three. I think it's like Chris Cruz and hmm. Mike Tanay, maybe. It's not Mike Tanay. Larry Zabisco. I think Mike Tanay's just come in by this point. He's here, so it's 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 either Zabisco or Tanay. They both make sense. As uh, uh, I know, Cruz has experience with Zabisco based on doing pro together and things. So that that could be it. And they're. Showing the video here, obviously, the Giant won the World Heavyweight Championship at Halloween Havoc by disqualification because Jimmy Hart was Hogan's manager, and Jimmy Hart attacked the referee and got Hogan disqualified, essentially, which gave the Giant the title because Jimmy Hart signed Hogan's contract for him that allowed this to happen. So I think Hogan deserved it. But Nick Lambros and the rest of WCW Legal did not. And thus they stripped the giant of the title on Nitro a couple weeks after Halloween Havoc and put the belt up here. The for the vacant belts held up pending the winner of this three ring battle royal, 60 man battle royal. And the story was supposed to be a giant in every ring. Obviously, one of them being the giant. One of them was supposed to be the Yete. And based on what you believe or don't believe, the third ring was also supposed to be. Eligante, who was also supposed to be the Yete at one point, but then there was talk of him just coming in as himself. Uh, and then there was talk of the one-man gang being the other giant. And then we wind up with Hogan being the third giant. So it makes it doesn't make a lot of sense. We could have essentially seen a battle royal where Hogan and Giant never even lock up. And I really want to go even further and ponder if the original plan was to have a Dungeon of Doom giant in every ring, but they keep pushing the giant as the guy who, who's going to win because nobody can eliminate him, what's the point of having these other giants? <laughs> None of it makes any sense to me. And as you'll see here, and I don't know, I don't have a timestamp of when Tony says it, so I'm sure we're going to miss it. But when the Yeti comes out, he's dressed in a generic Quang t- 
type looking costume of some sort. And uh, Tony Schiavone says, it appears the Yeti has thought out. And I just always thought that was a hilarious line from Tony Schiavone as the battle royal gets going. Yeah, it looks like a scorpion from Mortal Kombat. It looks like a yeah. cheap rip off of that. Yeah, and I think the name but, uh, I think the name he uses is they actually keep that gimmick, and that's Ron Reese under there, Reese from the flock, uh, Big Ron Stud. They actually keep that gimmick, that that gear, and he wrestles at least one match on syndication as the super giant ninja, I believe, and you you know he doesn't know any ninja moves, but that's the gimmick he gets, and it's funny that he wrestles in that costume which is used here as the yete who is uh if i remember correctly eliminated like uh first or second and he's eliminated within like five seconds of the match so they they squash the yete here this is the end of the yete so r.i.p yeti what's that that's good yeah yeah no need so he goes from being the mummy to a a giant ninja looking guy or as you call him scorpion right he looks like scorpion yeah. Yep. And we're getting ready to. Uh, I, I love how is it David yeah. Penzer who's the announcer here? The ring announcer gets the uh, the unenviable task of naming all sixty guys. And well, I'm he's I'm flying s- through them. It's tremendous. I was impressed, but at the same time, I was so happy that David Penzer uh, was the one calling out the sixty guys. Could you imagine if Michael Buffer had tried? to call out 60 guys to the ring when he knows about maybe who two or three of them are. Could you imagine him trying to, yeah, it would have been terrible. At least we didn't get buffer. At least we don't get buffer. I think he's here to do the, let's get ready to rumble. Maybe, but Pinzer does the name. So I I don't even know if buffer is on here. I can't remember. It's been a while. He does uh, the, let's get ready to rumble portion. I believe But that that was what I was going to say was, I I don't think we had seen him up until this point. If we had, I, I, I tuned him out. So when I heard Pinzer way back when watching this live, I was excited. I was like, yes, he's not doing the damned, you know, but yeah, I know he does it because he points out how much they weigh, like the total combined weight or whatever of the nearly whatever a quarter of whatever the hell. I don't really remember how he words it, but yeah, Buffer's definitely there now that I think about it. Hogan still hasn't been able to grow that mustache back in, by the way. So he gets two promos on this pay-per-view. It's getting there. It's coming in. But And this uh, is it. I think I think following this Hogan promo, we go right into the introductions. And uh, what's funny is that Hulk Hogan, instead of going to the ring like Randy Savage did following his promo, Hogan actually goes to the back to make sure he's the last one announced. Classic Hulk Hogan. I think we should pick up pins are doing the names. Well, I was going to have fun with the names, but we'll do that. brother brother (laughs) yeah i don't understand the point it was like the first promo wasn't really a promo dude it was more about just shitting on Meltzer for whatever reason and it didn't even make sense some of it didn't even make sense because Meltzer didn't even say some of the things he claims he said and then the other half were were true so everything he said about Meltzer was honestly in in this particular instance wrong And now this is just your typical Hogan promo. This is the brother, brother promo, the brother, I'm going to win it, brother promo. It is killing time. Yeah. They're getting everything ready. Yeah. Getting it all warmed up. And I guess I don't, I don't think they threw it to the other uh, rings yet. So we might still wind up doing that too, before we get the introductions. 
Brr, dude, brr, stinky rotten giant brother, dude. Call the hotline. A, Call the hotline, brother. It's a decent pop here in Virginia compared to other places. There's that scope ceiling again. They okay, here it. we are. There's the belt. It's Heenan and Shivani. This is where we're going to throw to the different rings, I suppose. What a beautiful belt. Hogan's name is still on there. So the giant won the belt. It's been vacated, yet Hulk Hogan's name is still on there because they know it's only a matter of time before it goes back to Hulk Hogan. And so why bother change the nameplate? How pathetic. Why Why not at least like remove the nameplate if you're going to do this here, show it up on the screen? It would have been terrible if Hogan had won this. There's Bischoff and Duff Day. That's the role with Mac and Dream, baby of. He hasn't quite uh, made it to the uh, paper, the three-man pay-per-view booth yet with Tony and Bobby. It's coming, but they they need him <laughs> here for tonight, and that's okay. That's, that's that's how I like my dusty commentary in short doses. It works as long as long as he wasn't calling Nitro every week. It was okay. There you go. He just said this is the greatest pay-per-view of all time, and. uh he was a hell of a shill. He could sell anything. And, that sounds uh, like Tony. I'm with That's something Tony writes. This is the greatest pay-per-view in the history of pay-per-views. <laughs> and I, I, I agree, but he, he can really get a big match feel going. He can yeah. make you feel it. And uh, this is perfect there for him. Go. Chris Cruz, Larry Zabisco. Larry Zabisco. <laughs> Cruz looks like a news reporter. <laughs> he just sounds like one. <laughs> I enjoy Chris Cruz, though. I, I thought he was pretty solid. I was I really okay like with Cruz. You know, Cruz works his little heel gimmick on Facebook, and it's hard to pick out what's real and what's not based on his response to people. But I've kind of called him out on some things he said two or three times, and in no, well, I don't know. He basically says this is a work without telling me it's a work, like for me to calm down. I don't get into arguments with him, but just sometimes he steps over that line with certain things, and I go, dude, that's not really cool and he'll he'll you know kind of basically give me a little nudge like it's a work dude don't don't worry <laughs> oh, here we go all right we'll, we go. we'll start listening alex right from the nasty boys brian knobs mario brother ricky ricky santana the british heavyweight champion squire david taylor scott armstrong steve Joey Mags. Joey Mags making a pay-per-view. Pistol Pez Watley. Good Disco Inferno. Ming from Harlem Heat, Stevie Ray. Mark Starr. Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Lieutenant James Earl. Dwayne Bruce lives. Total package. <laughs> Luger. Mr. Wonderful, Chris Canyon, Bobby Walker, Earl Robert Eaton, Crippler Chris Benoit, Macho Man Randy Savage, Marcus Bagwell, The Yeti, Oh man, Kurosawa. Look at Kurosawa holding (laughs) shit up. From the Dungeon of Doom, Hugh Morris, Zodiac, V.K. Wall Street. 
Diamond, Ellis Page, Scott Flash Norton, Flying Brian, Sergeant Craig Pitbull Pitman, The One and Gang, Super Assassin Number Two, Jay Barbarian, Bunkhouse Buck, Kensuke Sasaki, Mike Winner, 500 Pounds Shark. Steve Armstrong, Road Warrior Hawk, Dave Sullivan, Scotty Riggs, Johnny B. Bad, Black Mark, Trey Bart, Lord Steven Regal, Dirty Dick Slater, Max Muscle, Super Assassin One, Warlord, Mario Brother Fidel, The Taskmaster, Nasty Boy Sands, Nasty Baby, Axel Chip Rogers, Major Boy Rick Flair, and the 60th man is Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and because Hulk Hogan needs to be the last one introduced instead of the first one, made sense. He was already out there, but no, he's got to get that big introduction. His money. I thought it was funny that Rick Flair came out right before Hogan. For anyone curious, the Super Assassins were the Warlord and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain. They had been hired here, but Bischoff didn't want to use them as the Powers of Pain or as their WWF characters. So they wind up. I never knew that. Yeah. So they recently. Wind, yeah, they wind up doing the Super Assassins. And I, I realized that I don't know if this is their first match, but this is the first time I remember seeing them when I saw them in this. So had they had a match, it was likely just on. Uh, so, something I wasn't watching at that point. Maybe, a, like I said, a main event. or I did skip a worldwide here and there or a main event or a, a pro now and then. Look at Regal's face. I love Regal's mannerisms during this introduction. He's, <laughs> he's just all like, oh, oh, what? Are, look at all these filthy toe rags. Black Bart. touching me. <laughs> Black Bart getting the big train Bart. This is the first, you know, this is the first time I saw big train Bart too. I, I, I was like, I knew that was Black Bart immediately. And I remember my cousin being over for this pay-per-view and we were having a good laugh that he was dressed like this train conductor from like, you know, the, the 1800s. It's a comical <laughs> job guy. That was just Dusty probably getting his buddy a job. Dusty had always been high on Black Bart, trying to find him a job anytime he could. I remember the Desperados gimmick with Black Bart and, and those guys in 91. And then even going back to when Dusty first got the book in Crockett, he brought Black Bart over there for a while. Here we go. 60 men, 20 guys in every ring. The story is the Yetes in one ring, story. the Giants in one ring, and Hulk Hogan is in a, in a ring. And the rules we find out way later in this match, we finally find the rules to this match is once a ring gets down to 10 guys, they have to move over to the middle ring. As the Yete has already been eliminated. Which ring was he even in? Oh, there he he's is. On, he's up there. in the right, upper right. Yeah, he's already gone. Right. And I remember Mike Winter and the Yete are, are the first two guys. The Yete is gone, and, and I think Mike Winter's either already gone or he's about to be gone. I remember them being the first two. I can't tell you anything after that or why I remember that, but it just stuck out to me. Obviously, the, the Yeti being eliminated that fast, well, you hadn't even seen him. He had been missing in action since the, uh, the Halloween Havoc fiasco where he, where he dry-humped Hulk Hogan. He's still out there. Yeah, I think Is he beats no? up on Mike Winter or something before he leaves, something like that. There's Scott Armstrong. I think Scott Armstrong winds up doing a stretcher job here in this battle royal. And the, the point of that was to show you how dangerous a battle royal can be. 
the WWF did that. There. Look at is that James Earl Wright up there being choked out no, by the Bruce. Giants? I think that's I think that's Bruce. The dude had hair. Yeah, there he goes. He's beating up Winter. He just ran him into the post. He just posted him. Poor Mike Winter. No, and people might be wondering, like, who the hell's Mike Winter? How the hell did he get a spot here? Winter would pop up from in WCW every once in a while here in the early and mid nineties. I think he was a trainer or had something to do with the power plant. And that's, that's how Pez Watley's in here. Not that Pez didn't deserve a spot here anyway. I mean, he worked in the business forever, but that's Steve how Armstrong, he's it out. Yeah. There goes Steve, the wild eyed Southern boy, RIP Tracy Smothers and the Yeti doing his karate stance. Now, now the Yetis went from a mummy. Remember when he's walking around with his hands out like a 1920s horror film? He, he went from a mummy to uh, doing some like ninja-like moves. I hate to even call it that. <laughs> Look at Pittman just hanging out on the ropes there. Yeah, is that Bruce again? I can't tell. Did you imagine just letting go? Just let Goodbye. him go. Fall backwards. Sarge. That's who they refer to as Sarge. That's who Goldberg credits for basically helping him. I would never take credit for helping yeah. Goldberg learn to wrestle, but uh, that's pretty cool still. Oh, yeah. Oh, there goes Horner. Nope. He sure is selling skin in the cat. So Luger's down and out on the outside. The horseman beat him up. Luger goes up to check on him, and then Nobbs jumps on Luger. Well, what what I remember is Luger spends as much time out of the ring as he does in the ring here, probably for the best. And no shocker that it's Lex Luger doing that of all the people in this match. 60 guys, and it's Lex Luger trying to figure out ways to hide out on the outside of the ring. Why not? There's your boy Disco. Okay, it's Disco who is laid out outside. Hell, I don't know what the heck's going on. This is a cluster here when you got so many people. You can't even really pick up or process what the hell's going on. You know, and I'll, I'll say this much for this battle Royal. I enjoyed it when I watched it. I was all over it. I remember, you know, and this is the mark I was back then people. Sorry. We didn't have uh, smartphones and, and computers were in their infancy, at least to be uh, in everyone's household. They, they, not everyone had a computer back then and you didn't have access to all this type of stuff. And there weren't a million things you can do now that you can do that. So I, I remember recording this and going back and, trying to figure out the order of elimination, all 60 guys and you miss a couple. So you got to go back and kind of try to figure out when they went out and how they went out. So it was just something to do. And it was kind of fun to just look into, Oh, this guy went out and you know, I, <laughs> I don't have, have that list anymore, but it was, yeah. uh, I remember doing that. I, and I'll say this, this much, you know, everybody shits all over this three camera setup. What else are you going to do? And I remember, you know, bitching about it when it got started, but by the time you get this far into it, you just, what else are you going to do? And then so many people enjoyed what they did in the later World War Threes, where they just kind of cut from ring to ring with a, a single camera shot. You can see it a lot better, but I hated it. This was my favorite World War Three, not because of some of the finishes and the other ones were. I think every finish and every one of these World War Threes were awful, <laughs> but yeah. I just I enjoyed this one more because I was as a fan. All I wanted to see was everything, so I wanted to see those dark matches when those. Uh, Pre-shows were on. I, I thought, you know, it was like in my glory, like watching in the background as a match is going on. Like I, I get to see something that maybe not everybody's seeing. And so being able to watch all of this was really cool to me versus just being able to see one ring better. I was just more of, 
I wanted everything. You know what I mean? So this to me was the best World War Three camera production wise. Even if everyone shits on it because they can't really see anything, you just gotta look around and, and <laughs> squint. I guess I, I hated the other one. You miss so much more uh, elimination wise than you do here in this one. Yeah, I know Meltzer craps on us. That's probably why everybody else does too. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough to see what's going on. But also, I think another issue that you're having here that they did is a lot of guys went under the ropes, through the ropes, and and things like that. So they're not necessarily eliminated, and it confuses the hell out of you. So if you have you're outside, you see like five or six guys on the outside, like Sting and Arn and Flair are on the outside beating the hell out of each other as soon as this match started. That stuff should have stayed saved for a little bit later um, because it's just confusing. You're like, are they eliminated? Are they in? What's going on? And the commentary really has no idea what the hell's going on either. Right. So well, I'll tell you it what. just made it more difficult to follow. We get a lot of State Patrol heat here. They were arguing on the way to the ring. Now they're arguing during the elimination. State Patrol just went out with Cobra. What a threesome. James Earl Jones, one of those. James Earl. <laughs> James Earl. But- James Earl Wright, yeah. yeah. Uh, is, that, is he one of those guys that we've seen back in the grenade in 89? Is, or no, is he we just haven't, a newer? No, he, uh, well, I mean, he'd been around by that point, but not with not in the uh, NWA in 89, at least not where we're at in 89. I was just curious if that was yeah. one of those random. No, that's Dale Veazey, yeah. James Earl Wright, and he'd been around for quite a while. He was a jacked-up jobber in the 80s. He was more one of the uh, more muscular uh, job guys. We got Orndorff and Luger on the floor. Luger again on the floor. No shocker there. So yeah, we got the part that bothered me. Like, are they eliminated? You don't know. So I think you just got to kind of play it by ear based on who it is. Lex Luger, probably not eliminated. Uh, Mark right, Starr, right. probably eliminated, you know, so yeah, I even Orndorff, he's not going to be eliminated this early. I'd like to think he saw some name value. Yeah, he's they're working towards no name value there with the gimmick, and he'll he'll be done here very shortly as well. There's Warlord. There's no mistake. That's what I was gonna point out at the beginning of the the match. I had not seen these Super Assassins up until this pay per view, but it didn't take me this match, the end of this match, before I figured out who they were. I knew I I recognized the Warlord first, but then immediately I went to is the other one the Barbarian? And sure enough, it was pretty easy to figure out at that point that the super assassins were the powers of pain, which you think you would have gotten more name recognition from, but yeah, it's weird. Like you didn't want to use their gimmick from the WWF, but you're in the war with the WWF and any impression. Well, you you got to remember they, they came more talent. They came from Crockett from, but yeah, I know where they came from, but I'm just saying like people remember them like the warlord last remembered as the, you know, the warlord guy from, early nineties and then barbarian with Haku and those sort of things. And just haven't been around. So, um, I feel like you'd want to run it back with those names just because that's how they're last known was with WWF. And it looks like a more talent is stolen from WWF, even though they've been there for a while. Luger's still on the floor. He's created his own fourth ring, a four ring battle Royal featuring 20, 20, 19 and Lex Luger. That's right. And uh, I'm sure maybe, whoa, nice bump there by Chris Canyon. Oh. I guess he's gone. <laughs> That's a good bump. Canyon was awesome, man. He's ahead of his time. 
you know, most people might remember Chris Canyon and Mark Starr teaming up as that, that minute work gimmick, that uh, underneath uh, job team that sometimes got a win on, on syndication. But, you know, Mike Winter was also part of minute work, which I didn't even realize. I didn't, I didn't remember that. Big train Bart on the apron. But Mike Winter had teamed up with Mark Starr as part of minute work at one point as well. I think they were more of a, a heel team by that point. But it's just interesting the stuff that they did on those Disney tapings. But at least those guys, they gave those guys something. It's like you said, you were watching several promotions when you watched WCW. There's just like different tiers of wrestlers. You had the Nitro guys, later the Thunder guys, the Saturday Night guys, and even the the Disney guys, really. Yeah, that's just crazy. And and when you think about it, like, can you really fault? anyone who's booking to remember everything that's going on in every show and, and, and shit like that. Like I just, there goes the warlord Luger backdrops Anderson on the floor. Anderson tried a pile driver out there. Lex Luger just hanging around outside. I mean, story you get eliminated st- if you're on the floor. Well, story of the match. Well, I can see Bobby Heenan maybe selling that, but I'm not buying that bullshit. It's less work. Less risk of injury, which you may also say is smart, but let's be honest here. Lex Luger isn't doing this because, you know, he's smart. He's It really hurts the match. I mean, I guess it doesn't because there's 59 other guys. You don't really need Lex Luger, but it's still at the same time. It's uh, it's killing the match that he can get away with this. Why isn't it's uh, Lex Luger? And there goes Scott Armstrong, who does a stretcher job now from that bump to the floor. <laughs> Get tossed over the top rope, okay. and they do pull out all the stops here in this battle royal. They try to work every gimmick you've ever seen in every battle royal, other than the old hiding underneath the ring spot, which I'm surprised Luger wouldn't. Probably didn't want to do it because didn't want to risk uh, getting dirty or maybe the ring Ooh. collapsing. Nice bump by Walker. Is that Bobby Walker? Walker Pittman there. tossed him. Yeah. Yeah. Ricky he Santana landed on the table with his head there. Ricky Santana back as a Barrio brother here. He got big. Yeah, <laughs> not in the right way. Guerrero dropkicks Santana the floor. Ooh, awesome dropkick there. And he was awesome. Wow, there goes Ooh. Stevie Ray. There goes Knobs. Sting held up. He can't hold up Sting. <laughs> you see him push Sting so he didn't yeah. fall. Sting can't go out. Not yet, not, not yet. It's not your turn, buddy. Pistol Pez Watley still in there. Shaska Watley. I mean, Big Bubba's hanging out on the apron there. He's been down there for a couple minutes now. He's working Hogan just a second ago, and now he's got Duggan. And they both, uh, I was going to say, they both took all that tape off. There's no tape. Why wouldn't Duggan, especially. (laughs) Yeah, probably took Duggan most of the last two hours just to remove that tape. You're right. (laughs) And he had to have help. There's no way he was doing that on his own, getting getting the scissors down the. (laughs) <laughs> from the elbow to the to the fist, <laughs> we still got one hey, of the Bubba. super assassins in there. I don't know if that's barbarian or warlord. Yes, yeah, so this is another reason why. There he goes, the other super assassin. Thanks to the gang, so they're both out. Any Dick Slater still hanging in there? How often do you see Dick Slater hit Hulk Hogan? You know, it's, that's the reason I love this camera. And here I am, twenty five years later, and I'm still marking out because you just get all these dynamics you never get to see. There you so, go, Savage and Bobby Eaton up there in the upper right. How great is that? Yeah, and that was really my main argument why I enjoyed the three rings or the three the three cameras. I want to see all this spin. airplane yeah. spin by Hulk Hogan, Dick Slater taking the bump to the floor. Wow! 
was now, awesome. now, see if they had been on the camera with the giant there, what we would have missed, a Hulk Hogan airplane spin. You never would have believed it. See, Sting's been out there a lot, too, man. Arn Anderson's been out there a lot. But if you notice, I, I haven't really paid attention to Sting out there, but Arn, man, he's been... Luger's going out there to get away from everyone. Arn's going out there to work spots with people. So Arn's just been working it on the floor versus Luger, who's just standing there, and he's like, oh, don't come out here. Come on, man. I don't want to... Wow, press slam. Pretty brave. Pretty brave to take a, a, a slam off the top rope to the middle of the ring there. I guess that was Regal. I don't think that was Dave Taylor. It looks like we got two cameras on the same ring right now, too, which is, yeah, I can see Orndorff and Hogan. Uh, so one of the cameras is not on. <laughs> How hard is it to stay focused on your ring, asshole? <laughs> they need three hard cams. So I think the ring with the giant in it is there's no camera on it right now. Yeah, this is the bottom ring. The giant's in there with with Hogan. That doesn't make sense. The whole selling point was they were supposed to be in separate rings. But you're right. Is have they there? moved one of the have they moved one of the rings over? Did I miss something? I think they may have. It's hard to keep up with this without commentary, to be honest with you. Yeah. And there's so Scott, much shit going no, no. on outside that you just can't yeah. even. Yeah. That's no really what's throwing me off is all this shit on the floor. Sags, Luger, Luger finally in the ring. Sting, Arn Sting, Anderson. Play, and here comes the play, stretcher play. for Scott Armstrong. It looks like we've migrated into just two rings by this point. Yeah. And like I, I said. Because Bubba is in that ring. Yeah, it's just the one. We're already down to one ring. Uh, no, we oh, got the, no. There's a, there's a, there's the other ring, the Yeti ring. It's got Savage and DDP in it. Yeah, that's the light ring. Actually, I'm surprised this ring hasn't moved over because it looks like there's less than ten guys left in the uh, ring. Like I guess that's ring three. Benoit and Sasaki still going at it. They're going to the floor. I guess they're moving them over now. So we're gonna move everything over to one ring now. It looks like. It's a cluster. Well, you know, with commentary, with commentary, had I been able to keep up with that other ring shifting over, I was okay with what was going on, to be honest. Like I said, I, I was a fan of this style of World War Three, the production anyway, the, the cameras. And now we have two cameras on DDP's ass. I don't what mind was, the three cameras. I actually prefer that, but I'm right. just saying, like, it's when you have 60 men at three oh, rings, yeah. you don't need a bunch of people outside the ring. It, yeah. It's hard as hell to keep up as it is, and then you got six, seven guys that just live outside. And now we got uh, it's got to be approximately 30 guys in this ring. The gang, <laughs> the gang just okay. looks like he's getting ready to make out Zodiac with Hogan there. Is- Putting his That's, foot on his shoulder. He's not even Zodiac, choking him. Beefcake's barely touching Hogan with his foot. The gang looks like he's getting ready to, to kiss Hogan. He's looking at him. He's like patting him on his shoulder. Like, are you okay, buddy? I mean, wh- that had to be a mandate from Hogan between the mummy humping him and then, I'm sorry, the Yeti humping him at Halloween Havoc. And now Beefcake, like, barely <laughs> putting his foot on him. And now the gang's just kind of cuddling Hogan almost in the <laughs> on the apron. It just... <laughs> It's ridiculous how light these guys are. With I get you don't want to hurt them, but you can still make it look real and <laughs> better than that. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, are people afraid? Code Red. I, I don't know. On Joey Mags there. 
that's a dangerous place to be in a battle royale. Yeah, yeah. You get like you get like eighty feet stomping on you. <laughs> yeah, that could be the end of end of your career in the, in the eye and the leg. Uh, but were people afraid to hurt Hogan? Yeah, I think to a degree they they wanted to make do business with Hogan. I think that that would be the end of them if they they had hurt him. You see how, especially in WCW, how gentle everyone appears yeah. to be with him to the point where it ruins the match. Because the match looks so phony, it's hard to even get into it. And I think that's why Hogan really feared working Vader and put it off for as long as he did before he finally agreed to work him. Because they were supposed to work yeah. way before they actually did. You know, I, I just learned this. and I had never heard this before. And I guess probably because I really didn't die. I, I don't even know if this came from the Observer, to be honest with you. I heard this from a third party, but it, it was a credible third party who claimed that Savage was supposed to win this battle royal. Hogan was supposed to get eliminated, pulled out by the giant refrigerator Perry style. After the giant gets dumped by Hogan, the giant was supposed to pull Hogan out while Hogan's pointing at him, brother. And at some point in this match, probably early on, Hogan calls an audible in this match and goes over to the giant or tells the referee, I'm not going out anymore. Tell him to pull me out through the bottom. So Hogan changes the finish to this match during this match. And totally just shits all over the Macho Man's run, basically, by stealing his thunder and then cutting that promo with you. I didn't really get eliminated, brother, dude. So, if there's truth to that story, and based on the, the, the where I heard it from, I, I don't want to name names or anything right now, but based on who I heard it from, I believe it to be true. It's just sick when you think about, and there goes Bubba and Doug and continuing their, their feud here. Um, it's just sick when you think about the storyline with the, now, Scott Armstrong got a stretcher. Now, Joey Max is going to have to wait for his, I guess. But <laughs> the story goes, you know, with Rumble 90 and Hogan screwing Hennig at the last minute, walking in that day and saying, yeah, I'm not going over, brother. I'm not, I'm not getting thrown over, brother. And then here he waits till he comes out here when you can't do anything about it and says, you know, tell him to pull me under the bottom rope. I'm not going out over the top. It's, it, it sickens me. And there goes Disco. You should be happy. Yeah, see ya. Hawk got his revenge. Luger's Lug- still working the floor. <laughs> I was about to say Luger's still on the floor. But what what do you make of that story with Hogan and the, and changing the finish here? I'm not surprised. It's Hogan. And to be honest, like the, the aftermath, the promo, it always bothered me. It always pissed me off. Like, man, just let the dude get his shine. You've uh, always, was oh, was you've okay. always, you've always right. taken from him. His WrestleMania four win, you're in there hot dog in a grandstand and, and doing all that crap, letting him enjoy his title. And Savage, that's the biggest problem is that he was so big that he reached my, Hogan's level, to be honest with you. He was right there. And, um, and that was his biggest downfall is always being tied to Hogan. And h- hindsight is his biggest downfall. And, um, it's always overshadowed his runs. I mean, I think he's only dropped the title to Flair or Hogan. I, I, I think that's it. Um, he's never lost the belt to anyone else. Over the uh, dunge- Dungeon of Doom going after the Giant there. So um, it's just unfortunate. I just wish one time Macho Man got a run where it wasn't overshadowed by right. Hogan. Right. And it's really, you're right. And it's, it's sad here that Hogan basically steals Savage's thunder after this match, steals Warrior's thunder at the end of WrestleMania, just playing the sad guy who hands over the belt, and we get those production shots, which were clearly done on purpose, so that was planned out ahead of time. Sullivan gets tossed fairly early in the dungeon here. 
Makes sense, yeah, so he's kind of the manager. We get all I the think, other dungeon guys still out there. Yeah, I think Mania 6 fit. It was him passing the torch, and it just felt more authentic and natural. And I think the biggest part of that was Gorilla. Um, I didn't mind the handing over of the belt. It was the uh, the sobbing, the slow motion ride to the back that was, I felt, oh, there goes Regal. I felt he slid on everybody's sweat. How disgusting. Yeah, it is <laughs> He probably has half the sweat down. That dude sweats more than most. He's like, yeah, he's like that must have been the side uh, Wall Street was eliminated on. All that <laughs> sweat. He's rotundo levels. But yeah, I think um, I enjoy WrestleMania 6. The sobbing, I think the slow cart was more of a Vince thing. But um, TDP yeah, out. But this, it's just unfortunate. So we see these feuds. Okay. These guys are getting eliminated together. I'm, I didn't mean to switch subjects here but we're kind of getting down to the nitty-gritty to quote gorilla oh. Pittman took a nasty bump there wow. i think it's i think it's kind of interesting though that some of these guys that are locked in feuds are going out together you see bad right. go out with ddp you've seen bubba whoa ben Wah took a nasty was that ben Wah? that was a nasty bump that was a yeah but and then you saw bubba and, and duggan go out at the same time so it's ca- kind of interesting Booker and I think Sags went out together too. Right, the right. Nasty Harlem Heat. So and then you know, and then Cobra went out with the State Patrol and that epic you know storyline that never happened. Yoshi Kwan <laughs> sliding sliding across to who? That's Kurosawa. That's not Yoshi Kwan. Come on now. I've been watching Saturday Night ninety three. So <laughs> my bad. <laughs> I did think it was funny when when Kurosawa just went out. He went sliding across the the sweat on the mat too. Like <laughs> yeah. It's wet out there. Be careful. Well, Luger's been out there drenched in sweat, just pacing back and forth. And there goes Haku. Ming's gone. So the dungeon's starting to lose some guys as we weed things down here. Here we go. Flashback to 86. Orndorff and Hogan going at it. That's right. Luger, are you finally going to get in, Ben? There's not enough people in there now for you. There you go. He's working the arm. Everybody's kind of pairing off into their their typical feuds. We got Sting and Luger, or I'm sorry, Sting, Sting and Flair. We got Savage and Luger. It's funny that the giant. There goes Zodiac out. Anderson over there doing the abdominal stretch, holding the ropes in the middle of a damn battle royal on Eddie Guerrero. (laughs) At least nobody can make him break it. Oh, Eddie reverses there, working an abdominal stretch on battle. There goes humorous, humorous. So the dungeon's starting to fall. It's funny Hogan and the Giant wanted each other so bad, and they're not even near each other here in this battle. And, and it's weeding down, too, so it's just very noticeable now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we've got a spot coming up here. If this is Yeah, here we go. So Hawk dumps Pillman, and he tries to save Sasaki here because they had been partners in New Japan, the Hellraisers. So I think it was kind of cool. I remember here Hawk yelling, Kinsuke, or it's almost like he lost his friend. He fell off a cliff or something when he gets eliminated. But Hawk's looking. Look at him. I remember this. Hawk is looking. I think it's for Hogan. He's waiting for his spot. And Hogan's like, just over there doing something else, brother. Not paying. So they're holding on forever, playing tug of war with Sasaki. And here comes Hogan, finally, all to throw out Hawk and Sasaki because Hulk Hogan. Next to dump those tag teams, man. Let's go ask the Brain Busters. <laughs> oh, that was an excellent bump by the Brain Busters, though. I will give them that. Oh, yeah. It, 
You couldn't ask for two better guys to do it. That was awesome. Stinger oh, splash, giant moves, and he nails Eddie. Eddie and, like he died. That was great. And Eddie's only been in the company for a couple months, and he's already down here to the, the final 10. I'm just going to call it 10. I'm not count- There goes Orndorff. And Mr. Wonderful, he was in there for quite Ooh. a long time. Mr. Wonderful. Yeah, you can, uh, we mentioned on our Monday show that it seems like they really, the only at, person they really wanted to push was that. Hogan, trying to figure out how to do an abdominal stretch over there to the gang. He's just well, dry humping him. Yeah. What is yeah, going on there? Yeah, he's going to do it to me. I'm doing it to you, gang. Eddie going to the top. You don't do that, Eddie. Oh, well, wow. That's a well, see now. Look at that. That was all kinds of dangerous. Right. He lands on top of Arn, and I'm not sure who the hell that was over there. It took a bump at the same time. Savage. Savage, Savage and Luger. Down there, so that could have yeah. been, been bad. Yeah. Yeah, these guys are doing some out of the ordinary things. I give them credit, though. They're trying to make it as exciting as they can because it is a, a battle royal, after all. And you can only see so many forearms and fists in a 60 man battle royal. And we even get the Scorpion. Oh, Flair. <laughs> Chops thing out of that. Savage taking bumps. I'll give him that much. See, now Arnon looks like he's going to go, what, Spinebuster? I'm guessing. There we go. Boom. But again. Somebody does the better. Giant and Savage right in the middle of the ring, and and Eddie and Arn go for the Spinebuster spot at the same time. So just not a wise idea, even with two, four, six, eight, nine guys left. It's so funny seeing yeah, Eddie Eddie here in, in the final nine, and I'm assuming he's probably gone here soon. If that wasn't just yeah, he just got tossed by Arn. But it's uh, like who doesn't belong? <laughs> I hate yeah. to say that about somebody like Eddie Carroll, but. At this point, I mean, even the gang yeah, really fits because of his size. Right. The gang fits because of his past history. We know who the gang is. And, of course, his size, obviously. You know, what is he, like, legit 6'8", six, 6'9", six, and well over 400 pounds. So, yeah, he, he makes sense yeah. here. Eddie's the odd man out there, but he did. He looked great. He got himself over. And, yeah. uh, and early, early I advertisements. Even, I think Keenan... Didn't he in the beginning of this like talk about Eddie Guerrero? Was that this one? He's like a guy like Malenko or Eddie Guerrero can go a long way and um, possibly Malenko win this thing. So Heenan, Heenan was impressed with those guys. You can clearly tell he ain't gonna do that. For yeah, nobody. based on his commentary on Nitro, yeah, he was thoroughly impressed with their their work. But yeah, Malenko's actually. I was just about to mention him too right before you brought that up. Malenko's not in this battle royal, and that was a bummer for me. Like. I was, I like immediately latched on to Malenko when he got there. I don't know what it was about him, but I was a huge fan like right away, right out of the gate. And here comes, looks like Flair's, there goes Flair, even though he climbed up the ropes from the outside. So he technically has an argument like Hogan and Anderson out too. And Flair just goes nuts. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Hey, look at Gene. <laughs> oh, call the hotline. Find out what Ric Flair said to me. And the horsemen are gone. We're we're done with the horsemen here. It's unfortunate. Look at the gang. This is out. exciting. This is like a Royal Rumble '89 almost. We got the gang over there with the mega powers. It's crazy. It's funny how that works. We just need the boss man to come out. Well, Bubba was, was in there. Booty man. 
Yeah, Booty Man. They were Booty all man, oh, they were all in there. Well, Zodiac had to go out when he went out because his paint was almost gone. Oh, here comes the finish. This is the finish here. So keep an eye on the gang, everybody, in the background as everybody else starts going out because Savage will eliminate, dump the gang at the same time everyone else starts going out here. So Hogan comes over and does the old Royal Rumble bit where he eliminates his friends and his enemies. Oh, sorry, brother. It was all an accident. And there goes the gang at the same time from Savage. And then the giant pulls Hogan out under the ropes. And for some reason, Randy Anderson assumes Hogan went out. And for some reason, all the other referees have disappeared and they're no longer out there to call the action. So we rely completely on Randy Anderson, who was busy with the gang and Savage. And so Hogan's announced as being eliminated, even though he didn't go over the top rope, brother. So naturally, to get his heat back, he's got to go out here and slam the stinky rotten giant dude. And then go back and cry about it in the ring and... Have you ever seen Hogan move like this? Does this, He sticks his foot like eight feet out under, underneath the bottom rope to drive the point home to the people in the last row that I went out underneath the bottom. Have you ever seen Hogan that flexible in his entire career? Look at this. Oh, Never. yeah, brother. <laughs> Never. He can get animated yeah, when, it's been, when it benefits him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's the deal, brother? I won the match. I'm the champion. Uh-huh. You don't like it? Tough shit. Savage is called the winner, and Hogan has a reason to bitch. Hey, how about it? And if I remember correctly, let's see if we can pick up the fans here. I want to pick up the fans. Listen, I didn't see you. Savage, he's won it. He's won the championship of the world. And now Hogan belly aching and crying, whining like a little boy, like a little spoiled brat. He's asking the fans. I think that was the reason why I never latched on to Hulkamania like so many other kids during that era was because of his whininess and his poor sportsmanship all the time I, I understood it worked at the same time he did when he did heel things people popped i always questioned it and he he just seemed like such a whiny bit like i'd never forget royal rumble 89 when he eliminated the boss man that pissed me off royal rumble 92 i was a little older then i understood everything a little better but when he eliminated sid that pissed me off and that really pissed the entire fan base off really but I just, I never liked that. And I hated how he always dumped Warrior, dumped Savage, dumped whoever. It was an accident, brother, dude. And we do the same spot here with, he dumps Sting. He's just doing, uh, doing to others before they do unto him. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I was never a giant Hulkamaniac. There he goes. He goes all the way under that time. <laughs> well, yeah, he even slid. He could have done a baseball slide there almost, or the nimble as he is all of a sudden here, 30 minutes into a match. This is what I could do if I wanted to, brother. But I don't have to do that sticky rotten giant shit, dude. I just feel like, too, like, it's just fighting fire for fire. That's how I always looked at it, like the back rakes and things like that. Now, the other stuff about, like, pulling Sid out and boss man, that's just dirty tactics and being a baby. But, like, the, the cheating in the ring and doing things like that, it's just fighting fire with fire. Well, I think so. that shit I think that shit caught up to him. Uh, it caught up to him by the time, you know, it happened with Sid. The crowd booed the living hell out of him. You wouldn't know it by Superstars and Wrestling Challenge when they changed the, uh, the, the, the crowd noise to chant Hogan instead of, you know, boo Hogan. But, I mean, and then here, by this point, the crowd had completely turned on Hulk Hogan. So this, oh, yeah. this finish here, it did him no favors at all. Had he just went over the top rope and went about his day, he might have been, you know, he might have had a few more fans walking out of this pay-per-view. Yeah. (laughs) The guy literally has a Hulk Hogan 
styrofoam gimmick and he's pointing down like booing with the Hulk Hogan styrofoam gimmick at Hulk Hogan. They probably handed it out. Savage does a great job here turning the heat back and, and getting it on him. Uh, Hogan's not playing ball, but Savage is doing the best to make it about him and not Hogan. And then Hogan, you know, has to point out, well, I never went out. So you're the bitch. I'm, 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 well, technically, I don't know why Hogan acts like he doesn't come out and say he should be the champion or the winner, but it's almost, it's almost like that is what he's saying. Like, I didn't go out, so I should be a winner. Well, Savage didn't go out either. And Hogan makes sure. Now, Gene was just getting ready to talk with Macho there, and Hogan uh, chimes in again. He's got more to say here. You can tell he thought more about this than he did the match. Well, yeah, it's his angle. Right. Do you really believe he just he just he just came up with this idea during the battle royal? I mean, get real. Oh no, absolutely not. I was hoping Macho was gonna talk. Yeah, I was hoping Macho was gonna talk. I wanted to hear him. I didn't really hear Hogan, but we'll pick it up anyway. Talk turkey, dude, because I deserve a shot at my belt. All right, there's the final final for you, Randy Savage. That's cool with me. I like it. And I want to say, as a WCW champion for this moment in time, I want to shake your hand. I like it. How about it, ladies and gentlemen? What an evening it has been here at the Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. And for fans around the world, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage, hand in hand. Yes. One more thing. Oh, yeah. Outster. Well, at least Savage sticks that in. I think Hogan, what does Hogan say right back there? Oh, yeah, right back at him. Yeah. Savage tries to get the last word in, and Hogan's like, nah, that's not happening. I think Gene Gene should have just cut it and not let Hogan get the last word there. When did Gene ever not let Hogan do what Hogan wanted to do? Well, yeah, I'm just saying that's more Gene letting Hogan get the last word than I think Hogan. I think it was just an offer to him, and Hogan's not going to turn it down. That's just that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But um, I don't another, know, man. Another fun watch along, though. I mean, uh, these aren't exactly the greatest pay-per-views in the history of the wrestling business, but going back and just enjoying it with someone is a little different and talking about it and being able to venture off in conversation on other things when when the things on the screen aren't, aren't necessarily the best thing going. Although tonight flowed pretty well. I thought most of the undercard was pretty good, m- minus uh, Savage and Luger. That goes without saying. Yeah, I think uh, they didn't go too long. They didn't have enough time to suck. Even five minutes for Luger and Savage seemed like a little too much. Just And I don't think it's any fault of Savage. It's no. definitely more Luger, but Savage's yeah. elbow is hindering him. So it's not of no fault of him. It's just he's doing business when he shouldn't be doing business. And we know why he did business. He's, he's the champion now, and he holds it for at least a couple months. Yeah, I understand completely why he's doing it, but um, – yeah, it's been a rough week for me on my end, um, so I'm glad I was able to sit down and talk wrestling with, with my buddy here, and uh, it's been a blast, man. It was fun. Uh, I've always enjoyed this show. It goes so fast. It just flies by. It's fun talking to you about it. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we continue this from time to time, especially since this makes such a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare Battles Within show that we do. Yeah, absolutely. And if we can fit the time in and do them, then we can do them, man. I'm, I'm down for it. Some of these things I haven't seen in a long time. Some of them I've seen 
more times than I need to see them. So I'm down for any of these pay-per-views from any of the, either of the companies just to kind of get a little bit of everything to go with uh, the Monday Warfares for sure. Look at some of the names in, in the closing credits, some of the higher-ups there. Tony Schiavone. I saw David Crockett once again, and of course Eric Bischoff there. Many people don't remember that David Crockett stuck around. He still worked for the company. He just wasn't an announcer anymore. So they made a good call there, and he never never returned. They never said, man, we, we're, we have a shortage of announcers. Let's go grab David Crockett for, for this week. He never filled in. You know, It's like they would have found somebody off the street before, before David Crockett. But it, it, you would have thought at some point they could have brought him back for some kind of like retro moment. Or something like that. Oh, for they like could a, have done it. They could have done it for World War Three, man. Could you imagine him in this battle world? Look at him. Look, look at him. him. Look at him. Look at him. Oh my God, he would have had a field day. We'd have been looking at him all night. <laughs> Holy yeah, that shit! That would have been the perfect match for him, Chris Cruz and David Crockett. Let's go. Oh my God. Or well, Dusty guys, that'd be it, fun. It's getting late, and I think we're about two hours and forty-five minutes or so into this one. So I guess we we won't keep you guys any longer. We do plan to put out the WWF Survivor Series 1995 as well, sometime before Thanksgiving. So be on the lookout for that here on the All Access tier. There's uh, another watch along coming your way, uh, amongst other things. More in the uh, Coliseum Video Department, best of the WWF Series, and probably some other things as well. I'm working on some other ideas too, guys. Don't worry. We know more than just WWF and WCW. There's plenty more coming. It's still early. But other than that, Steve, man, thanks for recommending or, or coming up with this idea to to do World War Three. It was, again, another one I wasn't so keen on. I just wasn't sure how we were going to get through it, especially the Battle Royal part, not because I didn't like it. I, I did like that Battle Royal way back when. It was more just how the hell are you going to call it? But we made it, and it was pretty easy. So I had fun being – I haven't watched that pay-per-view in more than 20 years. A lot of this stuff I just – I really haven't seen from beginning to end – in probably more than 20 years. I, I watch what I want to watch on something, and then I'm done. And now I'm kind of being forced to watch from beginning to end again for the first time in a long, long time. So it's been fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. I get a feather up my butt every once in a while, and I'll go through and watch WCW 95 pay-per-views and stuff like that just because I get bored. But for the most part, I, I just listen to it. I don't really watch it. Watching it and focusing on it and talking about it is totally different than just listening to it. Yeah, man, I'm having fun with these. So the more we can do, the better. So one final time, thank you guys for subscribing to the All Access tier here. Tell your friends. Have them subscribe. We, we want to know you guys are out there, and uh, it keeps us going. It keeps us going financially, and it keeps us going. It just gives me a drive, knowing that you guys are out there and you want to hear more. So uh, for Ray Russell and Steve Ekstad, this has been the All Access Watch Along, and we'll be back with more very soon.